Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, February the 24th, 2016, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Schrodel, and I'm in the house with Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. On the line with Mr. Steve Say. Hello. And Miss Stephanie Cook. Hello, hello. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope... That wasn't last week. What did we talk about last week? We reviewed Deadpool last week. That's right. Mm -hmm. Two weeks ago was Kelly Sue. I wasn't here. That's right. You weren't here. Um, I did watch it, though. Oh, cool. Since then. Nice. Yeah. I saw you write something snarky about Negasonic Teenage Warhead, so I figured you were watching the movie. No, I, I liked her character. I feel like I needed to emphasize that afterwards. <laughs> like, her character was so cool, mm-hmm. but, like, it was just such a poorly planned name. Mm. Um, and I think Angela Fowler was like, because it's so unlike teenagers to act irrationally. Yeah. <laughs> um, she can just be Negasonic Warhead once uh, yeah. once she, get, once yeah. she get, turns 20. Mm. Uh-huh. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. If you can imagine it, with a character named Negasonic Teenage Warhead, it was created by Grant Morrison. No. You can imagine. I'm, I'm very happy they also made a Sinead O'Connor reference. Yes, that was good. With her. Like, it was perfect. That was good. Mm-hmm. That movie mm-hmm. continues to make a lot of money. It was very good. There was, like, a moment when I went to see it with my friend Danny, and we were both, like, holding each other. Like, we were laughing so hard. <laughs> and, like, we were crying. And we're like, okay, we're good now. We're good now. It stopped. And then, like, as soon as, like, we wiped away our, like, laughter tears, like, we're like, nope. Here they come again. Well, that's a good endorsement then. Yeah. It's very good. That's yeah. very good. We enjoyed it. Very, very and good. She's very she's a she's a very harsh critic and she was like, This is my favorite comic book movie. All right. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Nice. Um yeah. so yeah, so we that next week we have a special guest. Yes, Joel Jones of Lady Killer. Yes. Wow. We've got like a lot of cool things happening. We do. We do. Bobby, you've got a cool thing coming out soon. Yeah, yeah. I talked with uh, Harry Groner, who has played uh, the mayor on Buffy the Vampire Slayer season three. Really great interview with him um, where we just talked about all his career and like what it's like to be a working actor. You know, not, not someone who, you know, gets the gets the scripts for the big movies, but shows up. You know, he's been in something like he has like 83 credits on wow. IMDb. And like you look through him, it's like all of these one episode, one episode, one episode on all these big shows. So we talked about that. He talked about his life in the theater and, and the Kickstarter for the NTS uh, theater company that he's he's part of. So it's it's a good interview. It'll be up um, later this week. Um, yeah. And yeah. there was an interview with Mike Martz from After Shock Comics. Yeah, the, the written version is on the site. And if you're a Patreon member, there's a version, an audio version of it on uh, the Patreon. So people can check that out. As and well, I've as well. got a super cool thing coming out this do. week, too. You do. I I'm, I don't want to like jinx it by announcing it because like I feel like if I announce it and tell everybody, it's I'm gonna mess up the recording or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, you won't. Well, we, I don't know. it would be a nice surprise. Should, yeah. Should I should I tell? Mm, oh, um, I, I, and we, we you have an, an interview lined up with a an MCU actor. How about yeah. that? 
Yeah. It's, it's somebody from um, the Winter Soldier verse. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. So, that, that's you know, exciting stuff. And then we have some other stuff kind of lined up coming down the pipe. So, it, it's yeah. got some cool stuff going on. There's just all kinds of things. Absolutely. Um, Steve. Yo. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? Good. How's Canada treating you? Good. Good. I've been uh, I've been rewatching Daredevil nice. this past week, kind of boning up for season two, coming very shortly. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing lots of games. I've been writing a bunch of articles, working on some stuff that I've had uh, going on for a while now. And uh, I watched Turbo Kid. Oh, Have you nice. Heard of this? Yes, I've heard it's of it. The best. It's so good. It stars an actor from Degrassi: The Next Generation. <gasps> Oh, I yes, it you were does. just going to be like, it stars an actor, and, and that's uh, it. Monroe Chambers is this gentleman's name. Whoa. <laughs> You're uh, like a Degrassi connoisseur. I am. I am. You can thank my wife for that. We, I've watched a lot of episodes <laughs> of Degrassi. I think there are something like 15 seasons. So I've watched she, all she of them. She also has wow. fine taste in puns. Yeah. yeah. We should agree on that. Yeah. I don't really agree with that. But how was Turbo Kid, Steve? <laughs> it was really good. It was really, it was about what you would expect. Um, a Turbo Kid? Just... Very like you know loose on details, but completely over the top as far as like silly low budget gore and laughs and out, uh, outrageous characters. It was very much um, kind of like Fallout meets Ultraman meets Mad Max. So I still have no idea what this movie is about. <laughs> Michael Ironside's in it. Yes, he is. Oh, love Michael Ironside. It's about basically it's it's about like like nuclear fallout people trying to survive people trying to claim uh water and and one person ends up stockpiling it and michael ironside's character wants to run that portion of of the of the land of course he so would. he basically knocks off the wrong person and it then sets in sets into effect a course of events where the kid that was the like his father was the one that was taken out plots his revenge and he grows up reading a like the only comic book that's left and then he finds out that buried beneath the wasteland is the ship of that comic book character and that comic book character was actually a real thing and he takes things from his suit and gets his revenge gotcha, gotcha. he basically becomes turbo the character man. Yeah. turbo man <laughs> turbo kid um yeah and i also watched victor frankenstein which Ooh, was i'm sorry so, <laughs> you didn't have you seen it have you seen the trailer? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you've seen the movies, so I guess you've seen more than that now. But it was good. Okay. Who's in it? Um, Harry Daniel Potter. Radcliffe oh, and, uh, James McAvoy. Oh, okay. And it was written by uh, Max Landis. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, I like. Still it. not enough to make me want to watch it, and I love all of those things. Well. Mm. Interesting. I, I believe you, but I'm I'm glad you watched it, so I didn't have to. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Thank you. Um, You're doing a service for our country temporarily. And sure. by our country, I mean Canada. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. Let's don't know where to go from well, there. Yeah, no, <laughs> let's, we'll, let's, we'll send us into the actual show. Uh, so uh, we're going we're gonna to flip-flop things a little bit here this week. Usually we start with our books and then we get into sort of news or, or a topic. And this week we're going to lead off with, with, with our, our topic, which... I thought was just going to be about DC Rebirth, but many things came out of the Comics Pro um, 
uh, convention in in Portland, which is a retailer convention. I think it's run by Diamond and Reed Pop. I think are the two are the two people two organizations that run that. Um, it's a place where retailers get together, and you know, publishers can unveil kind of their plans and stuff like that. And uh, last week, I had mentioned we were we were talking about like the theories about Rebirth, and I knew the story was going to hit at some point. Thankfully, it hit on Friday. It didn't hit on not the normal, but Wednesday. still close. So it, it, at least we had a couple days where our podcast wasn't obsolete, and then. <laughs> Um, but the news came out about DC Rebirth, which I would say kind of the the sort of overall picture of it. Um, we got the full line of books that are going to be out, but we don't know anything about creative teams or creative direction for what these titles are going to be. And there are some titles where the names don't really tell us what the books are going to be because we haven't seen these books before. So we don't know what, what they're going to be. But uh, we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to focus on uh, Eric Eric Stevenson's keynote Um uh, I promise it's not be a repeat of the, <laughs> the last time we talked about Eric Stevenson's keynote at something. Um, um, uh, I quit, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we got those things to talk about. Pretty big stuff. I mean, I think they sort of play off each other in, in, in some nice ways. So let's talk about the DC, DC stuff first, because I feel like the Eric Stevenson stuff is going to really kind of wrap into um, what the DC, DC stuff is um, in, in, in a very big, big way. So... For those of you who don't know what DC Rebirth is, DC Rebirth, um, we now know, is um, a going back to number one for all the DC books, except for Action Comics and Detective Comics, which are going to re- revert back to their original numbering. I think, what were we at? 930-something? Nine, 934 and 957 and for ni- Action Comics. And 957 for Action. 934 for Detective, 957 for... Wait, yeah. Yes, well, DC was Detective right, Comics yes. back <laughs> when they began. So there, there is that. Um, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm going to read some quotes from some of the people, and then we'll sort of, we'll sort of go off from there. So Jeff Johns was the one who sort of announced the entire thing, kind of pre them releasing the the, the line and everything like that. So um, Jeff Johns said the whole point of Rebirth for all of us is to get back to an, uh, get back to the essence of the characters in the DC Universe Reverse Special. The very first couple lines in it sum up what this is to me. There's a picture of the world and the mysterious narrator says, I love this world, but there's something missing. Um, this echoes John's feelings on the DC books that have lost a sense of legacy. So that was a big, big, big focus of Jeff Johns's statement was returning legacy to the DC universe stuff that they had gotten rid of with the new 52, which, you know, a lot of the legacy characters, you know, the, the multiple flashes, the multiple, you know, Batman, the multiple, all this kind of stuff. It kind of been swept, swept away to a more kind of easy to use, easy universe. Um, that's going to kind of reform now and in a different way. Now, um, uh, Jim Lee and Dan Dedeo said we wanted to end things at 52 and work back to a shared universe and big stories. They wanted to take another look at everything. Dan mentioned the word rebirth to me. I said, look, that's the word in- that word's incredibly. This is more Jeff John stuff. Sorry. Speaking about Dan Didio and Jim Lee. Dan mentioned the word rebirth to me. I said, look, that that word's incredibly important to me. I feel some pride and ownership of that word. It's it. I said it means something extremely specific in my mind. So if we're going to do something with rebirth, it's important for me to understand what that means. And like everyone else, I'm skeptical of relaunches. So it had to be something that everyone put everything they had into that was special. That had a reason. And rebirth to me is a reason. It's beyond the back to basics approach. It's not just going to going back to square one. It's much much more than something that's that's simplistic. We all need to. Do do our best to get this right and everyone has to come together to create a cohesive universe and terrific stories that work individually as well as together 
We're also doing it by building up everything that has been published since Action Comics number one through the DC New 52. The DC Universe Rebirth number one is an 80-page one-shot I'm writing, which is relaying the groundwork for DCs for the future while celebrating the past and present. It's not about throwing anything away. It's quite the opposite. So, um, again, we don't know what all these books are going to look like yet, so we don't know any of the creative teams. Um, uh, Didio and Lee also had their own statements to make. A lot of it echoes what John's is saying. You know, they had more sort of publisher focus. I mean, more retailer focused statements, focusing on the direct market, how important it is, so on and so forth, and growing a reader base. So, um, that's sort of the laid out. What we've got laid out. Um, should I go through what books we have announced first, and then sort of yeah, that's a good and idea, then go on from there? Yeah. Um, Bob, you have it in front of you, actually? Yes, I do. So I will say this, too. We'll say this as well. There, there's going to be, th I think, 34 um, ongoing it's, titles. It's I, I, I'm going to the exact yep. number. Uh, more than half of them are going to be double shipped. Um, so uh, everything... So there's going to be about 17 titles double shipped, I believe, mm -hmm. um, and 15 titles that are not double shipped. So when all said and done, you have about 49 books um, a, a month be being published. So there, there's that. I just wanted to... Put that out right. there, and uh, at three dollars, which is at three dollars. I want to say that's two ninety nine price point. Yeah, yeah. so we'll, 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 we'll get to the, we'll get to the negatives right. and the positives right. of all this stuff as we go along. I just want to make sure everybody that's listening has the information because not everybody is reading all this stuff online. Mm -hmm. So we start with Beyond This Rebirth number one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in June we have Rebirth specials: Aquaman, Batman, The Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Superman, Titans, and Wonder Woman. Mm. Then that same month, new number one issues shipping twice monthly, Aquaman, Batman, The Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lanterns, Superman, Wonder Woman, and a new issue shipping twice monthly for Action and Detective. Mm. In July, specials for Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, The Hellblazer, mm -hmm. to differentiate from Hellblazer yeah. or Constantine, <laughs> Justice League Rebirth, Nightwing Rebirth, Red Hood and the Outlaws Rebirth, with new number ones that same month from Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, Justice League, and Nightwing, shipping twice monthly. Mm. New number ones only shipping monthly, Batgirl number one, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey number one, The Hellblazer, Red Hood and the Outlaws, The Superman, and Titans, mm. not teen, just Titans. Mm -hmm. Coming in the fall, Rebirth specials, Batman Beyond, Blue Beetle, Cyborg, Deathstroke, Earth 2, Suicide Squad, Supergirl, Teen Titans and Trinity. New number one shipping twice monthly, Cyborg, Deathstroke, Harley Quinn, Justice League America, Suicide Squad. And new number ones shipping only once a month, Batman Beyond, Blue Beetle, Earth 2, Gotham Academy next semester, Supergirl, Superwoman, Super Sons, <laughs> Super Soccer now, uh, Teen <laughs> Titans, and Trinity. Yes. And that's where we are at. Right now, no creative teams. No, they they said that they're going to announce them in, in March at WonderCon in Los Angeles. So we don't have to wait too long to learn what, what the teams yeah. are. So, you know, I, I think that, like we said, knowing what creative direction these titles are going to, what teams are staying on, what teams are leaving, you know, what are sort of, are we, you know, are we going to keep sort of the um, differing art styles that DC has sort of embraced over the last few months? Are we going back to sort of the house style? We don't know yet. We don't know. But I think it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle. But we don't know yet. So mm -hmm. it's hard to comment on any of that stuff, but we what we do have here, there's plenty to, to talk about, I think, as far as what DC is doing. So, um, Steve, what what do you think about this whole uh, initiative? Well, I mean, it sounds that, you know, they, they talk about, or at least Jeff Johns was talking about trying to roll in 
some of the new while recognizing some of the old and some of the more legacy or legendary runs. I think that if they can find a way to blend the two and and have it all get along with one another, that we might get the DC that you know many people have wanted, people that had jumped off the DC 52, this might call out to them. Uh, I think the list of titles is interesting in that it's, it seems very pared down to the basics, right? Like you have your Aquaman and your Flash and your Batman and your Superman, your Titans and stuff like that and your Wonder Woman. But I don't see, other than like every now and again, there's maybe an oddball title. I don't see a lot of titles that look like they're pulling from like weird ends of the universe or that they're giving smaller characters their own solo books. I mean, am I am I wrong in looking at this list? Uh, I mean, n- you're not wrong. I mean, there's some books we don't we don't know what they're going right. to be, right? Like the, the Superman, we have no idea what that book book's going to be. Super Sons, we don't know what that book is going to be. Right. Um. I mean, I'm to assume that they're going to any characters that are being lost will eventually end up in these other books. Like, I'd be very surprised if, since Black Canary's not on this list, we don't see her in Batgirl and the Birds of Prey. I mean, that's, that's she's absolutely going to be in Batgirl, Batgirl okay, and the cool. Birds of Prey. Yeah. I think John's, when he was talking about um, this stuff, he he even mentioned yeah. that. He mentions the Huntress like, as well. Yeah. Will, like, will Martian right. Manhunter be a part of Justice League? It'll be a part, of, think so. part of one of Dr. them, probably. Fate find a home in one of these other groups or, or some such? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, as far as them doing this i mean did we lose steve we lost steve stephanie are you still there i am okay so i was just making sure it wasn't my connection <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm here okay you're here so uh um, so uh well hopefully we'll get back steve back here um and and get him back and f- make finish his point but let, stephanie, let's let's move let's move to you uh, about okay. this whole dc rebirth stuff and um what, what you think about what, what they're doing um I think there's a lot of pros and cons to it. Um, I kind of feel like it's maybe more leaning towards the cons side of things. Um, They're getting rid of a lot of books that were doing a lot of really interesting things Um, like Midnighter and Black Canary and, um, you know, things like that that were unique and interesting. Um, Gotham Academy is thankfully staying um, but you know, I think that they are, th- their idea of going back to, you know, what's missing is making it what it was before when there were a lot of gates up. Um, I, I, I feel like, um, the, the whole thing with, um, the prices for instance is really good and encourages people to try new books. But the fact that it's shipping twice a month mm-hmm. is less good. Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting two books, two full-length books for a cheaper price. Um, so, I mean, it it's not completely terrible. But at the same time, you know, putting two of those books on the shelf every month is taking away from other books out there. There's just too much stuff out there to double ship a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, and that ties into the stuff we'll talk about with like Eric Stevenson in a bit, but it's it's nice. But the way comics have always been for the most part is a monthly, you know, episodic format. Um, 
and you're you're being greedy when you try and put it out twice a month. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not necessarily greed. Maybe it's also genuinely trying to get people to stick with the story and not forget what's happening over the course of a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you're alienating some of your um, market who want to spend money on other things when you're doing stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I, I think the titles are good, but the ones that, I, I don't know, there's not a ton that I'm super interested in, like, putting on my pull list at this point in time. It seems like a lot of what's already been done before. And obviously this is early in the stage and, like, there's literally just, like, titles. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, like, there's nothing in this lineup that makes me go, ooh, I gotta read that. Like, right off the bat. Right, yeah. And like you said, that may very well change when we see creative teams because there might just be two people on a book that you absolutely go crazy yeah. for. And it's not necessarily a title that you would think about picking up. But I agree with you, Stephanie, in a lot of what, what you're saying. I think that, you know, they, they get a big plus from me by putting things at two ninety nine, but then they kind of take that away for the most part for double shipping the books because uh, I... I, I it doesn't it's the same exact problems we've been having with what what marvel has been doing because and again it's even worse with marvel because everything is four dollars or five dollars right. and they ship a lot of multiple times a month there so the problem but at is least that, they are getting and i'm not justifying that price like even a little bit but dc if they want to justify that need to give us digital codes or something yeah that's right they don't do that and it's 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 a, it's a really stupid thing that that they do which, and like that should have been part of this that should have been part of rebirth like Guys, you're not competing like so much that you can't be like Marvel's doing something cool. Let's do that too. Yeah. Like you can't be like mm, we're just not gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a good plan. It's a very good plan. Uh, you need to hop on that ship. Yeah, and they should have done it. They should have done it a, a, a while ago. Um, and it's it's a shame too because when they first started the new Fifty Two, they were sort of bleeding the pack by putting everything out day and date digitally. You know, every title mm-hmm. out. And then Marvel quickly passed them in, in that. I mean, DC has cool digital first yes, books. Yes, they do. But they need to continue this digital bandwagon. Yeah, absolutely. And you you can't be this like front runner with digital content for one thing and then neglect it everywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it makes sense in some ways they don't talk about it here because obviously this was a retailer specific show. So I can imagine why they wouldn't talk about it there, and hopefully that comes out. But it's something they should have they should have led with. Um, for me, it, it's you know the the two ninety nine thing is is great, but like I I don't want to buy a, a, a one title twice a month. I, I, I doesn't even really how much I love the book. I I don't once a month is enough for me, especially with the amount of comics that that come out, and I think that you end up doing the same thing that we complain about with the other side of the other side of the aisle um, with the Marvel stuff. You just make it the same. I mean, yeah, they're a little less expensive, which is, which is great. And it makes it a little bit easier, but it's still $6 instead of $3, mm-hmm. you know, or instead of $6, it's, it's, you know, it's $6 instead of $4, whatever, whatever the price may be for one of your books a month. And maybe that was the trade off. Maybe it was like, you know, the, the, maybe it was Jeff Johns, maybe it was Didio, maybe it was Lee, maybe it was a com- combination of them, maybe it was none of them. But I imagine someone was like, I want the books back at two ninety nine. dollars Like that, that's going to get us more people. And whoever the business people were, were that balanced the ledger said, okay, you can do that, but you're going to have to put out books twice a month because we have to make up that money in, in, in some way. And maybe that's the case. Um, 
you know, my, but my problem is, um, I don't think that just speaking in a market perspective, I don't think that most of the books that they are going to publish twice monthly are going to be able to sustain being published twice monthly because except for Batman, maybe justice league. And I'm just talking about from numbers that we already know, maybe this changes with this rebirth thing. And maybe some books that weren't selling as much are boomed back up again and they have it. They they can sustain that market. I, I could be totally wrong, but Batman is really their only consistent top 10 comic and i feel like that yes do it do it twice a month the other books like aquaman the flash green arrow green lanterns even superman and wonder woman i don't think that they can sustain uh twice a month book deathstroke deathstroke absolutely not even harley yeah twice a month harley might harley might be i don't know she already has Mm -mm. i'm talking about i'm not talking about quality i'm talking about sales i'm talking about sales okay all right I go with. Oh, I'm talking I, about I sales. All right. Right now, I'm not. I'm not even going into quality at this point. I'm just talking about sales numbers right now. Quality is a whole different conversation, and we're going to have that conversation. Yeah. But for me, it's just sales wise. I mean, Harley, I think, is in many ways the Deadpool, Deadpool of the of the okay. DC universe. And Deadpool has like at one time or another three or four books coming out a month, and they all sell about the same amount of copies. So I feel like she can sustain those books because she has that sort of um, far reaching appeal um and 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 a, and a crazy amount of popularity especially right now um but most of these characters i, I just don't feel like um are are, are, are going to be able to do it um bob i know you have you have some qualms about thinking about quality yeah because that's a lot of pages in in this day and age that's a lot of pages a month mm-hmm. for creators to to get two books out a month of high quality. Now, whether that's going to now necessitate fill-in issues, fill-in artists to try to get ahead, do we do one artist the first week of the month, the other one the third week yeah. of the month, and then does that affect readability as the art style changes, mm-hmm. or can you find two people to do this? Are, are there enough chapters in some of these characters' stories mm. to, to load the marketplace up with some of this, in some cases with a lot if they're in team books as well? Mm-hmm. It's it's a really interesting roster in that it is very much about the legacy mm. that he discusses, which is great. At, at a certain level, as someone who complained about the new 52, it's a step away from that. It could be a step back to the multiverse that Grant Morrison has restored mm. into the pre-crisis. But as everyone's saying, too, it's also a step away from the idea of the DCU where we just had... It's not about continuity. It's about characters and stories and new readers and lapsed readers and you can come back and read dc books you don't need a lot of the stuff anymore now it's well forget what we just said we're gonna do something but we don't know that yet like that that's they, they had they didn't say they're getting rid of everything they did and we're and, well by and, title we are missing a number of things that were yes, just part of that but i think initiative. but i think that if they kept going with this those books would have been probably canceled anyway well, even we look back to the original New Fifty Two, how many of those yeah. ended up? A lot of can pretty cool, yeah. and and the, the second and third waves yes. of them as well. Yeah. So same idea. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and I'm and I'm not saying like, look, I, I'm not saying that there there is not a place, and there shouldn't be a place for for these the, the weird chances that the, that they were taking. There absolutely should be, and I think a lot of Marvel's best books have come out of of, of that of that taking chances. Um, so you know, I I don't know what 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 that's going to look like yet, but you know. If it's basically the same team that was on Black Canary that is now doing Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, then 
you know, that's not totally lost, right? If it's the same team that was doing Constantine the Hellblazer, it's now doing the Hellblazer, that sort of feeling isn't mm-hmm. totally lost. Like, And this is not speaking to quality of, of what what Midnighter was or Black Canary was or any of these books were, but if they don't sell, DC's not going to keep them, you know, around no matter how much uh, goodwill it's it's getting them. You know, they've just, they've always proven that they're not going to do that, you know, and Omega Men, stuff like that mm-hmm. are all books that they tried that just didn't sell well. Uh, again, it's tough to really paint out the picture of what what this creatively is going to look like until we know who creatively is, is on these books. I wonder, well, we know Jeff Johnson is definitely leaving Justice League. He's leaving him before the reboot goes because he's, um, or the rebirth goes because he's yeah. doing that work on the 80-page book. Um, so he's gone off of that uh, and he's going to write something afterwards, but we just don't know what, what it might be yet. Um, but we do know there was an announcement that Jim Lee was going to be doing, it was going to be one of the artists on the Suicide Squad book. So even just <laughs> that mentioning, we know that there's going to be more than one artist. I mean, of course, Jim Lee is not is not the kind of artist who you kind of do m- monthly books with no, or long period of time. Not at this point. Not no. at this point, definitely. And really, he was he had a, he had a run where he dedicated himself to being on time with stuff around when he really kind of became came back with DC with like Batman Hush and stuff like that. But he's known for not getting things done on time and, and taking a long time. So he's not going to be someone. He's not going to ship twi- two books a month. Uh, so you're going to have more than one more than yeah. one artist on that. But other than that, we don't really know any of the creative teams on any of them. Um, yeah. So, Bob, we have well, anything? Well, that really, that, the idea of these creative teams really puts me in a weird place. I almost feel the way I did at the start of the New 52, where I went from buying tons of DCs to buying Batgirl. Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked down the list, and it's, yeah, I depending on who's doing that, yeah, there might be four or five things. I can't imagine Gotham Academy being anything but who we just had on. Yeah, and that was a big surprise, right? Gotham Academy still being a book on this list. I didn't yes. expect that. Um, for better, for really, I mean, it's great that it's there. I just did not expect it to, mm-hmm. to be there. But in essence, everything else on here, it, I think, is in play. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, who was doing Green Lantern as we left? Venditti. I mean, Robert Venditti. Okay. He's been doing it for a couple of years now. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if he keeps doing it. I, you know, who knows? So it's that sort of thing where I could be buying five or six or nothing. Now, I assume Vertigo is untouched by this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're a separate imprint. But are we moving into a place where these creative teams, because of this twice-monthly shipping deal, start to change beyond that they're a fill-ins? They change because the pace becomes so great mm-hmm. that you get six issues and... We relaunch again, and that's the other thing we complain about with Marvel. Well, second number one this year as we yeah. cycle through all this, and we still don't know what exactly the storyline is here, mm-hmm. You know where we're going. So it's not a reboot. So is it a ret boot? Yeah. Are we going backwards or sideways or what portions? I, I think it's going to be a buffet for people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, creators in that. You can have this and this from this one. It's going to be a very Grant Morrison kind of world, maybe. <laughs> can we pick and choose if everything counts again? Mm-hmm. That could be a hell of a lot of fun or a colossal mess. And we won't know for at least a month, sadly. Right. We won't know. We won't know. Um, uh, Stephanie, I had not read that article. Stephanie linked me an article um, from Comics Alliance in this thing. Uh, well, specifically, I was just sort of more focused on the sort of quote that seemed a bit daunting. Mm-hmm. Like he kind of, and sorry if you did mention this, but like he very blatantly mentions 
that this isn't for casual readers. Yeah, which is very yeah. unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, but what is what does casual reader, you know, mean? I think that implies you know new readers. Really, I mean, that implies people who want to casually step into this world and try it out. Yeah, and I, I don't think he it seems very. They're making it seem very friendly to bring in new, new people. I I think that I I think that there's a difference though between new readers and casual readers. You know, like a, a casual reader to me is someone who every once in a while, like the way I was a casual reader before we started doing this show, I would I would every once in a while I'd be like, oh this oh Joss Whedon's writing a comic book. Oh I heard about this thing. Like oh what's World War Hulk or or whatever. You know that was as a casual reader, I would step in every once in a while and read things every once in a while. Um, you know, uh, as a, but a, a new reader to me is not the same thing as a casual reader, but I don't know what that means. Even, you know, he, he does talk about the fact that, you know, he, it's going to be for comic book fans. He says that, you know, um, and, and much like DC rebirth, he talked talk about green lantern rebirth and flash rebirth as books that, you know, you got a lot more out of if you knew the history because he was pulling from a lot of that history. But if you were new, you weren't you weren't that lost. And and for me, I read both Flash Rebirth and Green Lantern Rebirth before I was even reading uh, mm-hmm. comics, and I was lost with stuff definitely. But I was able to enjoy them. So I don't. I, I for me, it's tough to only because of my personal experience. What he says doesn't really add up to me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know quite what that means. Well, I, I think I agree with Stephanie in that it. I think it's a narrow casting of your marketplace mm. in that way. Uh, in the old days when you had lots of history going, because the industry was different, the writers who were doing things different, even just into the 80s, as convoluted as DC history was before the crisis, mm. you could still pick up a Justice League book or a Superman or Wonder Woman, Batman, and they were recognizably... Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the Justice League that everyone knew, even if all you ever watched was the Super Friends. And the books were written in a way that let you catch back up fairly quickly, whether from the storyline, uh, a recap page, or just the characters themselves recapping the previous issues. Remember, just the other day, meanwhile, mm-hmm. whatever would go on in the caption. Now, I mean, there's Wikipedia, there's a lot of other ways to do that, but it's not now part and parcel of reading the book itself. Mm. And if we are going to go back to really, really strict adherence to the continuity without letting new people into it, without trying to, Jim Shooter wanted to make sure you knew what everyone was doing and why within the first three pages of a Marvel comic mm. book back when he was editor in chief. And I'm sure Carmine Infantino was doing the same because 70s DC books were the same way. Mm. I'm, I am concerned that they just start to grow, even if only a small bit, a new audience. And then you're saying, well, we like those other people we threw away before better. So it's sort of an interesting... Maybe, conundrum. yeah. Do you make it even more of a boutique marketplace than you have by sort of excluding people who might want to come into this from outside? Because, well, just as you say, this is cool. I've heard about this. I want to read about this Suicide Squad. Mm. Well, now maybe you can. We don't know where this book is going to go. Yeah. But is this Justice League going to be that? Or is it only these major characters and not we don't know. Did, yeah. we, we 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 know very little about what is going on. The only thing I'll say about that, and like I'm just speaking from the numbers that we see from DC every month, they're getting creamed. They're getting they're getting their lunch eaten, you know, by Marvel at this point. So for them to keep doing what they were doing, I don't know if that was good for them either. 
You know, I, I just don't know. Uh, did you, for, Again, it's a very short-term experiment they tried with DCU. Yeah. There's no way of knowing whether that would have worked or not. Mm. But if you try something for... How long has Batman, uh, Batgirl been going? If, if we're talking about from, let's say, Batgirl 35, 34, whatever it was, the start of the new yeah, DCU. Yeah, over a year at this point. Yeah. A year and a half. Yeah. You know, I think some of those books are going to stick. Some some, some of yeah. them aren't, you know. Um, uh, you, you know, to me, it's like, look, I'm not, and we're going to, we should probably transition into the, um, Eric. The Eric Stevenson mm-hmm. stuff because I think that this this plays off exactly what we're talking about at this point. And again, we, we're going to talk in circles. And and and, I, and I'm not saying Stephanie what, what what you said about Jeff Johns, what he said is wrong. Um, obviously, I, I'm just, um my sort of feeling about it is that I I just I don't know if that one quote is is going to be indicative of, of everything they do. And we're not going to know until we really see the the books, obviously. Um, but, well, it just seems very like specific. Like yes. he says, if you have like me long boxes of DC comics, you will be very happy. Yeah. And then he says, if you've never read a DC comic before, you won't be too lost. Mm-hmm. But like you will be lost. Mm-hmm. Like he's telling you right away that you will not get it. Yeah, and but I, 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 I the only thing I'll say but about the thing that... is is like whether or not like that is something that like people will be able to get past or not. Obviously, we won't know for a while. But, I mean, it's clear that they're not going in with new readers in mind. Right. And you're, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. That's, you know? that's all my point yes. there, yeah. there is. Yeah. They're going in. They're trying to save themselves by being like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. We're, readers, 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 readers. Oh, God, we need to go back to, like, catering to old people, like, who've been reading comics for ages. We need We need to get back to there. And that's what it feels like to me. And they're they're not thinking of the people that they could be bringing in it's it's but anyways right um i digress no no no. but i will oh. say i will say this about and you're absolutely right and i think that just speaking from um not from my interest in 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 this in this in this relaunch at all but they may, i i think i think that it's we don't know like what exactly demographics they're going to be targeting as far as like you know what? What these, the makeup of these books is going to look like? But well, given that most of the books seem to cater to characters that have been around for a very long time, like and they're white male characters. They're not all. Come on, Stephanie. Not all, but there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I kind of feel like that's where they're catering. <laughs> um, I mean, again, we come don't. On, you cannot tell me that that is a diverse list. Well, we we also don't know what the makeup of any of these teams are going to be, you know. Okay, but speaking to the books themselves. Well, I mean, but there's always going to be a Superman book. There's always going to be a Batman book. There's always going to be a Flash book. There's always going to be a Green Lantern book. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so those books are always always going to exist. But if Green Lanterns is you know the the powering character who is who is a female character or it's and or you know because it's green lanterns i guess mm-hmm. it's or it's simon boz or it's john stewart then you're then that makeup looks different automatically you know i think i think, I think we're not going to know until we see these books sort of like un- unveiled and shown to us what, what they're what they're all going to look like um and you know i i think that when you announce a, a line um i i think that especially with the books that they that they sort of jettisoned out of there um you're going to lead with the with the the sluggers first and then you're going to hopefully 
bring in the, the, those other books. And I'm just talking completely conjecture here, and there's a lot, a lot of this is conjecture because we don't know, mm-hmm. right? We, we don't know. Um, but I, I will say that, w- you know, we criticize um, companies for starting over, and we criticize companies for um, keeping on, keeping on. So there, there's, we, we have to let the company kind of show us what they're going to do before, because either one can be criticized for a million different reasons. Well, in this case, it's sort of both of those at once, yeah. which is its own weird yeah, little yeah, problem. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's the American healthcare problem. It's the worst of both <laughs> worlds here. And that's, that's, I think, something that Stephanie sort of hit on here. Mm-hmm. It is the, it's very beholden to the old, mm-hmm. at least by title. Yes. And so it could be seen as you're retrenching to grab whoever you lost. How many years ago was the new 50s? You know, four five, year, five, five years, years ago? ago. Let's go back to that because we were doing better then. Mm. Forget what we did before. We're doing this now, which we did before and did well, and they could do this well. Mm-hmm. But it does seem like a retreat somehow. They did say they're not getting rid of anything as far as anything that's come after mm-hmm. that. So it doesn't seem like they're just going back to like pre-Flashpoint, you know, DC Universe. But yeah. we'll see. We'll, we'll know. We'll have a much better picture of this when we get to uh, March at, at WonderCon. I want to see Ace the Bat Hound again. That's all I want. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Steve, hello. Hey. Welcome hey. back. You oh, were, say, back you were saying. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been quiet. <laughs> hmm. uh, Steve, do you have any, any uh, parting words about Rebirth? After all of that, probably not. Okay. All right. It's a very, very well thought out and balanced discussion. <laughs> Thank you. Being, being in just the listening corner. No, it was. You know, you, you guys covered all the bases. I'm good. Um, so, Stephanie, let's talk about uh, Eric Stevenson, who seems to share some of your concerns about the state of the industry in general. But it, it's interesting how it, this comes. This keynote sort of came out very soon after the DC announcement. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can predict when DC is going to fuck things up. <laughs> Um, and again, that's just me being mean. Sorry. Um, but like this, this year's speech is much more eloquently put. Yes. I definitely think it says a lot of the same things, though. Mm-hmm. Um, just without as much um, pot stirring. <laughs> but like, I think a lot of what he said stays true to this, but it's just put in a much more rah, rah, rah. Let's gather our forces and make comics better way. Mm-hmm. Um I, I really liked what he said. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you want to sum up everything. It's a very long keynote speech. It's a very, it is very long. I, I have a couple of, of like passages that I, I, I want to kind of hit uh, as, as we go through this. Um, but the general sense of it is, um, you know, it's sort of Do this, better. This is where we are, and this is how we can be better. Um, and you know, talking about a lot of things that we were just talking about with, with that we've talked about over the last couple of months with Marvel and now with DC, as far as what they're doing with, with their lines and how they're pricing books and how they're releasing books and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, uh, Bob, I know you have some passages as well that you sort of you sort of marked. Um, what were your kind of overall thoughts about the speech, though? Here's the thing for me: I read this and I could put my own name to it. <laughs> Stuff I've been complaining about for years and years where it's, it's, let's, if we don't learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them. You know, this is an, as he points out, the industry has nearly killed itself Mm -hmm. four times over. 
and he sees what's happening now with variant covers and double shipping and gimmicks and the rest of it as reliving all the excesses of the 90s that turned this in from a mass market industry where books sold 400,000 copies a month to what we have now. And as he quotes, uh, in many ways, there's never been a better time to read comics. But as the story goes, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A colleague of mine recently said, I've literally never liked working in comics less. Mm. He is not alone. If you're a creator at a big two company and don't have the right contract or the right set of freedoms, you're an art or story robot in a way. You're working on a licensed property doing what mm. you're doing, which is implied here, but not said so mm-hmm. directly as he <laughs> did the last time around. And it's, let's not mistake short-term sales spikes for the health of the industry. Let's look at, at the bigger picture and how we need to do this. And he goes into some the history of comics. And it's it was really very, very nicely put and done. As Stephanie said, it's certainly a rallying cry that we can do better than this. Mm-hmm. We need to... And he does keep saying we, which includes him, even though he mentions all the great creators and they all work for Image. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> as you pointed out to me, I didn't even notice that, Bobby, but it's certainly the truth. And, he, and look, a lot of great people working over there. And at some level, their model... Uh, and. Uh, I, I will take back something I said now three or four years ago. We were discussing this. I didn't know that Image could sustain without the connected universe of Marvel and mm-hmm. DC. The idea of you come back to these books because I want to read Spider-Man, what he's doing against the Vulture this mm-hmm. month or how that ties into Avengers. The Image sustaining force is Image itself. It's where you can read cool things from interesting creators that you might not even think you like until you pick the book up. Mm-hmm. And that that model is really has become self-sustaining on its own. It's its own little critical mass of an atomic pile over there. Yeah. And they're to be committed for that. So my hat's off to them, and I was dead wrong. Uh, he discusses here the direct market and how that impacted the way things went, how we went from newsstands and real stores to that, and hits the nail right on the head, though I think he does miss the boat on something we'll we'll get to later. Let mm. me throw this back open yeah. to everybody else here. I mean, I would say that the, the, if I take one thing away from his speech, which I, I and I loved this sort of theme of the entire thing, which is that short-term gain versus long-term prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and he speaks to that in, in, a, in a wide variety of ways. He talks about variant covers. He talks about the price of books. He talks about the amount of books, all, all this kind of stuff that's out there. And I, I found that to be a very heartening thing to hear someone who controls one of the major companies out there, you know, say. Um, so, you know, um, and this is this one of the, one thing I think is very prescient to what the DC stuff and, and to the Marvel stuff that just happened. He says, we're giving them... Uh, so we've gone back to gimmicks, to variant covers and relaunches and reboots and more of the same old stunts disguised as events when really all our readers want are good stories. We're giving them great jumping on points over and over again, but it's becoming so commonplace. Our audience instead sees them as opportunities to cut and run. We are misinterpreting sales spikes for long-term success. And worst of all, we are spending so much time looking at how to keep going that we've lost sight at where we were headed in the first place. Uh, which is a very well written, well spoken uh, paragraph, and it's something that we've been talking about or for the for the past couple of months, absolutely. Um, and and how uh, what was so what was so novel or not novel, but so fresh when we the the last time DC did exactly what they're doing yeah. right now, and it allowed a lot of people to jump on. 
it's we've had so many soft reboots from from Marvel and, and renumberings, and that with no honest facing, this is exactly what we're going to do. Expect us in twelve months to do it again because we want to create volumes or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, no forward facing. It's all packaged in like. We're gonna change. We're gonna. We have to have this nine-month-long event that's gonna change everything, and then you can read these books and whatever. Um, and even this DC thing, which uh, some of it is, I think on, on the on the uh, you know, if it was done when the New Fifty Two was originally done, would have met with a lot of positivity. We're, we're so worn to the fact that, that that this stuff keeps happening that we it, it, it absolutely it's like okay maybe now it's time I finally get to stop. I I can. Even though I obviously I've loved every issue of Batman that, that I bought, this is the perfect time for me to stop reading Batman. A jumping off point. It's gonna, it's gonna be shipped. On, it's yeah. gonna be shipped twice, which automatically does it. It's gonna be a writer probably who I'm not like I don't love as much as Scott Snyder. Certainly, it's gonna be easy for me to jump off. So he he says some very interesting, great stuff in, in that paragraph. Steve, what did you think of the speech overall? Um, overall, I thought it was you know it was a good speech. It was definitely different uh, from last year's, and I mean. At the beginning, it was reading a little hypocritical to me, but then they, he actually directly points out like the similarities between you know the big two and image, and calls them out on you know like the the fact that um like the Walking Dead had double shipped and and all of the the ordering of covers and ordering of variants in order to get that one cover that might, you know, net you $500 on the internet or bring more people into the stores and hope in the hopes of getting it. Um, but as far as like focusing down on it, it was actually the, the blurb that you read out of the entire thing. That was what struck me the most, um, by saying that like the, the constant renumbering and, and the, the repurposing of heroes and, looking at it for some readers as more of a jumping off point than a jumping on point. Um, it really kind of put that into perspective of me, just how much I've been weighing that in the past, like even just the past couple of months or the past couple of weeks, um, particularly since I had decided to go digital with, I mean, I'm at the point where like 90% of my stuff is now being bought through Comixology and it also affords me, you know, I don't have to buy everything at once. And if I don't get to something or I don't feel the need to read it, it's very easy to jump off. And I'm wondering if it's because the the way that these arcs are plotted that I don't feel a need to, to continue on beyond a certain point. Mm-hmm. So um, I think maybe taking a hard look at that and why uh, readers jump off of books, you know, among many of the other things that are said uh, throughout this article, I think it would behoove everyone involved in comics to really focus on telling original stories with these awesome characters, but sticking to what they've established and to, and to keep running with stuff instead of renumbering a whole bunch of stuff. Like I've lost count of how many times, uh, Marvel's rebooted stuff within the last couple of years that we've been doing this. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. You know, and I, I've I've lost the thread, and and I don't know. It, mm. it it gets to be overwhelming as a fan and as a reader that once like those those big number ones come on, unless you're completely dedicated to the character and the team, and they switch things up on you, it's 
they're making it very easy to leave books, especially when you hike the price. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And when you add to that the, the way the industry works now in terms of reprinting books as trades reasonably quickly, even if it's the later ones, Marvel and DC, I can wait for the reviews to come out. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. okay. This is a great six issue run while I read it in trade. Yeah. So it's not even trade waiting, it's trade waiting plus. Mm -hmm. It's a year later, but the, by then the book's canceled. Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> because no, one, no one's bothered to read the movement or whatever. And yeah. It could be um, a great seller okay. afterwards. But oh, go ahead, Steve. No, no, no. I just, um, like you asked me, like my biggest takeaway from this is I'm happy to see so many of the points that we've touched on on this podcast and all these conversations that we've had over time that somebody that's with that's in a position of power and of influence is kind of calling everyone out on their own shit mm -hmm. yeah. and and a, a wake-up call of sorts yeah absolutely and i appreciate that somebody you know like i said in that position is using that platform to the advantage of everyone and not just themselves but it all boils down to being better for the readers mm -hmm. um and he mentions the valkyries in, in his speech that i was I, just you know. about to say that yeah. like i i thought it was amazing how he's like know your product you're gonna have more success selling it yeah. want proof the valkyries yeah yeah um, there's the whole, I like a bunch of the stuff in that section. He says, it's also time for retailers, no matter how new you are to running a store or how long you've been at this to start taking a closer look at the wide variety of comics on the market today. It is unconscionable for any store owner to say they are too busy to read comics. We're all busy every day, all day. It's part of the job. Um, I will never shop at a store where people don't know what they're talking about. Like, okay, this is sort of. I, I'm calling out one store in Toronto that's huge. And they run TCAF. And everyone loves the beguiling. They love them. But you go in there and they know not a goddamn thing about comics. Mm. And that's like, and everyone loves them. But they're like so underground. They're like just so underground that they don't know anything about mainstream. Mm -hmm. And for those who shop at the beguiling in Toronto and listen, I am I apologize. I like the beguiling for things like zines and cool stuff like that but they don't just sell that mm -hmm. they have an entire section of everything else and they need to know that and i wholeheartedly agree that you should know that content if i'm asking about um ed brubaker i shouldn't have to be like which okay if you want to read something that's like noir from Ed Brubaker. What would you recommend? Fatal or like mm -hmm. criminal? And they'll be like, mm, I don't really read them. <laughs> like that is not helpful. Yeah. If I've walked into that store for the first time and I'm trying Ed Brubaker comics for the first time, have an answer for me. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have an employee that can answer yes. that for me. And yeah. if you don't figure something out Yeah, because that's not helping bring in new readers yeah that the, is not helping making your shop into a welcoming environment sure you have cool art everywhere you've got cool shirts and seriously books piled up on the floor you've literally got a lot of stuff <laughs> but like if you don't know anything about that stuff your store's worthless yeah and, and uh, you know here's 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 the truth i mean it, this is my thing when you go into stores that are like that like if you if you're forcing someone to pull out their phone to to look up the stuff that you can't answer, 
then you're going to get replaced by that phone. That that's just what happens. And there are there's no substitute for a great person to person contact. You know, in, in, a, in a store like that, there's no re replacement for that type of community. You can and 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 sort of relationships you can build by doing that stuff. But if you're not going to provide that stuff, then why is someone going to come in there and talk to you? Um, I, I do enjoy that he, I do like, and I enjoy, and enjoy is the wrong word, like that he took the retailers who are un, are not doing their jobs to, to task. Um, it was great. Then another passage I really loved, and stop quoting, doing my quotes in a second, but he says, look at the success of Jessica Jones and The Walking Dead. Look at Mark Miller and Dave Gibbons' Kingsman or uh, Phoebe Glockner's Diary of a Teenage Girl. All ideas from this century that inspire genuine excitement. The whole reason the entertainment industry is currently so besotted with comics is because we have traditionally been a wellspring of new creativity. Stop, act, stop acting like interchangeable brand managers and create. Um, and if you're a publisher trying to shore up numbers by releasing more than one issue of a single title a month, stop. <laughs> Um, and, and yeah, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. And I, and I think that what I, what I always say, right. And what, what always happens is when you, when you really love a character, the idea of someone doing something, and I'm going to speak even not people creating their own characters, because that obviously is the purest form of, of doing this. That is what Stan and Jack did back then, you know, and all the stuff that's getting written now is just takes on what, what, what they did at some point or the other. Um, but in that realm, you know, it's the it's the people who the runs they get remembered are the people who to do stuff that 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 makes it their own and, and that it makes people remember it, you know. And that can sound scary to people on the outside. We hear that kind of stuff, our hackles go up immediately. But a lot of the time, not a lot of time, but sometimes those are the runs that you're going to remember for 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 all time, you know. And when you look back at them, those are going to are going to just be part of what made those characters great. They're not going to be something that you didn't you know that you, mm -hmm. that you didn't think was going to happen and um uh, this idea of being brand managers that's fine for people who are brand managers but i love this idea of not of, of, of as a writer you have to be pushing the, those kind of creative things forward mm -hmm. i love i love that message so um but yeah, that those bob you have any more uh no yeah, you want to the, on? the only one i'd like to just touch on briefly he talks about the direct market was a brilliant idea that saved comics from near extinction mm -hmm. but today is virtually the last bastion of independent owner operated entertainment retailing mm -hmm. and he's right but you know as, as he then talks about in another passage a little earlier well you can't just have idle grumbling mm -hmm. about well these these things that the publishers are doing whether it's variant covers and forcing you to buy extra copies to get this or the double shipping, grumbling to me as the customer about doesn't just help. Mm -hmm. Then do something about them. Either don't buy the extras or just support where, where DC, you can apparently buy them to order. Mm. I want three copies of this Looney Tunes one and two copies of this. And you know who your customer is. If you have to buy them with a shotgun blast... <laughs> Don't yeah. just don't support them, mm -hmm. and, and then that that dollar says more than anything. But where he does talk about digital distribution and bookstores, I am still to the, and I will hammer this forever. I'm sorry, I apologize, everyone. <laughs> Comic books need to be a mass media product again. The movie show that people and little kids and everyone loves these characters. It's the modern mythology these heroes. And if you put them in front of kids and people who are the casual reader that Stephanie was talking about, people will read them just because I used to like Superman when I was a kid, or I loved Spider-Man. They still make those? Mm -hmm. there, are, there are grown-ups who have grown up since 
the direct market in the 80s, they are full-fledged adults with their own kids. They've never set foot in a comic store. Mm -hmm. And the stores that used to sell their books and their hobby don't. They either don't exist or those stores don't sell them anymore. Find a way. Look, it's Disney and Warner Brothers. <laughs> you can't tell me that Disney and Warner Brothers, who can put their gosh darn toys everywhere mm -hmm. and T-shirts and drinking cups and whatever can't get comic books into Kmart and Walmart and Toys R Us and the movie theaters. Mm -hmm. People love these characters on television, in the movies, in so many ways. Give them a chance. Give people a chance to rediscover what they loved before mm -hmm. and pass it along to another generation. Yeah. And I, and I will say this too, we talked about this before we are on air, but this is separate of what Eric said and what the DC guy said. And obviously this is at a retailer-focused convention, so I understand why you don't bring this kind of stuff up. But... You know, and I think Steve, I think you'll probably agree with me on Stephanie, and you buy your books mostly digitally as well as far as single issues go. Um, mm -hmm. this, this, this whole sort of, it's been five or so years now since this sort of digital thing really happened and comicsology really became what it was. You got, we, it's got to stop this like books aren't available until yes. noon thing. It, it's just, <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing. Like, because look, I'm, here's the thing. I, if I want to buy a book physically, I'm going to go to the store and buy it physically. You making me wait till noon to buy it on my iPad is not going to make me go to the store and buy <laughs> it. Like, it's not like I, I, I'm not going to need that book. So that issue so badly in these three hours that, you know, or whatever, or four hours, that I'm going to go to the store and buy it when I have everything else digitally. It, I understand the, the, the sort of like, you know, kind of giving that to the retailers. We're not stealing. We're not trying to steal your, your, your people. Mm -hmm. And I know there are retailers who listen to this and I, I, I completely respect like the, the it's way, way you make your living. But I just, I feel like it's, it, it, you're not feeding from the same pond that that, that measure is not going to stop mm -hmm. that, that stuff from happening. And I just, I feel like it's such a, a, a backwards way of, of doing things. The people who read it digitally are not less important than the people who go into a store and buy it. It's just, it's just, it's just the truth. And, and they're, they're, they're equally important they're, I'm not saying one is more important than the other. I'm not saying digital is more important. It's not, but don't treat the people who buy it digitally. Like they are some kind of second class comic buyer because they don't go into a store. It's just, it's just, yeah. it's just stupid to me. And do we do ahead, we know Steve. the reason why, like the official reason why they're not released until noon? I mean, it's it's. I mean, when the DC stuff happened, right? It was because of that. It was because it was a, a concession to retailers, so that it it wasn't it so, we were completely undercutting them. So it was like a mandatory courtesy. Yeah, I think so. There's no there's no set rule of it at all. You know, right. obviously, um, but I just I, that needs to go away. You know, it just it just it's. It doesn't make sense that it's still around. If I, when I wake up in the morning before I go to work, you know, like, and I want, I have a, you know, half an hour or forty minutes or an hour to to read or to watch something or whatever. Yeah. Because uh, I usually wake up a little early because I like to have a little time before I go to work. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 why can't I spend my two ninety nine or three ninety nine and read the issue of, you know, yeah. Saga or read the the, the issue of, of Batman or, or whatever it might be. Um, with Batman. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And there are so many other ways to protect the retailer dollar. Yeah. How about giving them returns? Yeah. So they can actually gamble on a book. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying 100 percent returns. Like you do with magazines. Standard. Yeah. Exactly. Cut the cover off. Send them back. Or yeah. don't even cut the covers off. Just take them back. Yeah. In the record business, which I was in for many years, you had a 10 percent return a quarter. Mm -hmm. If I make more than 10 percent mistakes in my own, I don't deserve to be in business. Yeah. After a while, you know what you're doing, but. Okay, here's a new, there's a new Power Man, mm -hmm. Iron Fist out. 
not sure. The book hasn't been around in a yeah. long time. Should I buy the 10 that I know I can sell and one or two extra, or should I gamble that the good positive previews mm. of this are going to make this a 30 book a month seller in my store? I can't buy 30 of these and be stuck with them forever. Mm-hmm. I'll buy I'll buy 12. Right. And then people hear about it and they go to the store and can't buy it, mm-hmm. which then drives them to digital. Yeah. So it forces people the other way. Now, that could be a ploy too. We don't mm-hmm. know, but that's not protecting retailer dollars. Let me buy 20 extra of those, put them on the shelf. Let me read it as the article suggests mm-hmm. and we've all suggested. Know my product, recommend it. I saw great author, great artist. If you love these characters, a lot of reasons to buy this book. That passion then flows to your mm-hmm. readers. Look, I was in all media retailing my entire life until recently. It was movies or mm-hmm. uh, CDs, certainly in comic stores forever. They're different. They're art as commerce. And that passion and knowledge and your it's teaching moments. It's, isn't that so great? You need to buy this. Mm-hmm. And that you end up, I, we've, we've hung out in Jackie and Jay's backyard yeah. for years now. Uh their house is near where the store I ran for 20 years is. Mm-hmm. And there are 40-year-old people walking up to me. You're the guy from the record store. <laughs> am I lying? You're not lying. Who'll say, you know, you had me buy the craziest things and I loved them and changed the way I looked mm-hmm. at music. And it's that, okay, I could I could gamble on, no one knew who Guns N' Roses was. And we mm-hmm. filled the store with it and people went, this is the greatest band that's mm-hmm. ever existed. Mm-hmm. Because if I made a mistake, I sent them back. You're right. It's, there's... You gotta See, respect I feel your like the retailers. Valkyries, the the women that are owning, like a lot of the females that are trying to bring in um, new readers, they're filled with stories like that. Mm-hmm. Like I read them every day on the Facebook page, and it gives me warm fuzzies. Like stories exactly like that, Bob. Yeah. Where like somebody goes in for like I read this one where one of them went in for a book for their kids. And they recommended stuff. And she was like, I wish that like comics were like this when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, well, what do you like? And she was like, what do you mean? She's like, I'll recommend you something too. Mm-hmm. And she was like, but I came in here for my kids. She's like, yeah, well, comics aren't just for kids. Mm-hmm. And she's like, let me find a comic for you. Mm-hmm. And one of the Valkyries like spent like a while picking up comics for the kids and for the adults. And the woman like, like, like emotionally was like, thank you so much. I think you may have just got me back into comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it just takes people like that willing to risk, you know, risk something to make a difference. Right. And yeah. with some support from the publisher end of things, there'd be a lot more of that. There's still tons of people who are passionate in these stores who just love what they do, love what they read, mm-hmm. and are hamstrung by the way the industry operates. Bob, did you see, I I pasted it into our discussion here, but I know you don't have access to the computer, but um, Target's releasing a really fantastic new superhero line. Um, They have a new superhero line of females and all of the women are like Barbie uh, type characters. They've got Mm -hmm. Supergirl, Poison Ivy, Harley, Wonder Woman, Batgirl, and uh, Pixie Wasp. What's the... What's the DC equivalent? Well, does, oh, no, Pixie, I, right? Yes. No. I think, no. I know who you mean. She's part of the superhero yeah. girls. Yes. Um, Anyways. Yeah, it's, anyway. Bumblebee or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like they all have really respectful costumes. They all are diverse. And it's a really great line. Like it looks amazing. And they have a new line of shirts. 
And instead of them saying girl power or girls kick butt or something that really just makes you know that you're a girl and you have to wear this. Yeah. Um, They've got shirts and that say super with like the super man or in this case girl symbol beside it. Strong, epic with the Wonder Woman symbol beside it. That's great. And then brave with the... Batgirl symbol beside it. Yeah, Bobby just showed me the pictures, and they are gorgeous. And that's a is it great... Vixen? Is that who that character is? Uh, Vixen is. Uh, oh, it's Bumblebee. Power... It says yeah, right there. Oh, oh my Bumblebee. God. Okay. Blonde. All right. Now I believe it was Target who a year or so ago made they had shirts that for young oh. ladies. You know, Batman no. in training or whatever. No, yeah. no, no. We know yeah. this. Right. I, so I, we, we've I... gone way past that, and so this is such a great forward step. So. More power to target. Now, exactly. here's the thing: it's under really... those books, under those uh, toys, mm-hmm. should be books. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, Walmart's going to be selling comics mm-hmm. and graphic novels. Um, but that that being said, you know, like I I think that that's a, a huge change yes. for things. Like in a year, Target's started to listen mm-hmm. and realize that there needs to be better role models in the form of toys for kids and for girls specifically like we need more of that Mm -hmm. and after we finally all raised a kerfuffle and got cool ray merch which shouldn't have had to be a kerfuffle Mm -hmm. um you know like it's really nice to see them getting it right and there's little things that in addition to the comics aspect of it are making a really nice turnaround yeah Absolutely. Uh, yeah, 100%. And I, I just, you mentioned about the recommendation, Stephanie, and, and I think that Steve and I are both uh, going a lot digital at, at, at this point, but, you know, I, 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 I still, I deeply miss being able to be at a store and I, I miss those, that time when I would go get my books and, and talk and have those discussions. And of course, for, there are personal reasons for Steve and I, why it's not yeah. the same a, a, as it used to be, but that's a big, but that's a big part of it, right? That personal connection is, it was a huge part of my growing into comics and my branching out with comics. You know, my, my love of Joe Hill comes almost exclusively from the, you know, the, the, the comic book store that we used to frequent. And um, I think if you can make that lock and key, I feel like I pushed on you. Thank no, you very much. No, lucky you did. You did talk about it, but, <laughs> I, but I, I, I it was, cape. it was a slow, it was the Cape. It was a slow yeah. week. And it just like handed me the book and said, you know, read, read this. And I never would have read it. And that started for me, and that so that name became something that I looked out for, and I wish I still had that, you know. So I, I, that's something that kept me going back, even when I was getting tired of having boxes of books. I would still go back and, and buy books because because of that. And I think that such an important thing with, with comics retail, it's it, it it can't be you can't be disinterested or you know withdrawn from what you're doing. I if you've been even if you've been doing it for you know 30 years, if you're not engaged, then you're going to lose people because mm-hmm. people can in a, in, a, in an age where people can buy things anywhere and in an instant, you you have to give them a reason to to, to be able to do that. And um, the, I I think there will always be a place for for physical retailers. I just think that all of this stuff needs to be taken into account. The industry needs to get better about everything that's doing it. The, this heartening thing about this conversation is that we're having the same conversation since we started doing I, this show. I, I just want to put an idea out there for Comixology. Mm. This is a free idea that's going to change your world, Comixology. <laughs> okay, no, Jonathan really, Hickman. I'm not even lying. Like This is 
a really good thing that you should put on your website. Mm-hmm. You should have a live chat feature for the hours that you're in the office. Mm. And like if anybody wants a recommendation, you they would be like, hi, I read this. I'm looking to try out your app. I would like to check something out. They have staff recommendations, but I think it's more appropriate to have somebody to be like, I like um, Star Trek, but I don't want to read the Star Trek comics. Mm-hmm. I like um, Blade Runner, but I don't want to read like some adaptation in the comics. Like, I, Give me something to read that's new that I could check out on your site. Mm-hmm. And they would recommend you something. That'd be great. Yeah. Good I for, think good that, for that idea. would be a really excellent compromise to people who are too kind of intimidated to go to comic book shops but still want that recommendation thing. I mean, there's always that on Twitter. But from a business perspective, that just looks really good on you guys to do something like that. It absolutely does. Just saying, friends at Comixology. Hashtag, just saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, wrap up our, our Comics Pro Talk. It was a very fruitful uh, get-together, as, yeah. as it turns out, for, yeah. for us to talk about. Um, and again, we'll be, we'll be you know, updating on the DC stuff as, as it goes along. And you know, in March, there's going to be another big thing. So we'll, we'll be able to talk about creative teams and more talk about more in focus what things are going to look like for, for, from them. Um, Stephanie, uh, you had linked another article in our discussion um, that you wanted to talk about really quick before we moved on to our books discussion. Yeah. So um, over the weekend, uh, Long Beach Comic Expo, um, they give out uh, an award called the Dwayne McDuffie Award. And it's an award that celebrates diversity. Um, and I just wanted to you know, raise a spotlight to this because uh, this year's recipient um, was Miss Marvel. Um, so, you know, Kamala Khan, written by G. Willow Wilson with art by Adrian Alfana um, and editors uh, Santa Amanat, I believe is yeah. how you say mm-hmm. your last name, and then Stephen Wacker. Um, but the uh, artist, or sorry, the artist, the award director, New Edmund said, this is, award is a celebration of diversity in the medium of comic books. It is intended to raise awareness of the need to broaden the racial and gender representation of characters we see on the pages of comic books. And to also broaden such representation of those who create this beloved form of visual storytelling. So I just thought it was really cool that they have an award to celebrate diversity. And I, I feel like you don't, you should, we shouldn't need that. We shouldn't need to have to highlight something that is doing good. I think everything should be diverse and interesting and, you know, cool. But I, I really think that this is... Um, a really huge thing. Um, the other nominees were like Andre the Giant, Closer to Heaven, Fresh Romance, Moon Girl, and The Devil Dinosaur, and Devil Dinosaur, mm-hmm. and Zana, uh, Zana, Zana. Yeah. So, very cool. To be clear, yeah. it's not called Zana, 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 right? It's just yeah, Zana. It's just one Z- of those three. Z A N A. Yeah, I think Zana probably. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. very cool. It has like a judges panel, um, all that kind of stuff, but. I think it is important to celebrate these things. Uh, well, we don't really have them be an everyday. Well, they're not an everyday thing. I think it's important to keep letting people know that they're doing great work. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. 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 All right. Okay. Very cool. So, uh, Stephanie, I think you're going to leave us. 
I am. I am. Aww. But I will be back later this week with potentially a cool thing. Yes. From somebody in the MCU, mm-hmm. supposing I am able to not mess up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx it, Steph. Don't jinx it. Um, yeah. uh, absolutely. And before we move on, I just want to say we talked a lot about DC Rebirth. There's a great article uh, on TalkingComicBooks.com uh, mm-hmm. by Justin Carter. It's called yeah. DC's Rebirth, The Good, The Bad, and The WTF. So mm-hmm. check that one mm-hmm. out as well, as well as the other cool articles that are up there. Yeah. Yeah. So I will be back next week. Yes. Um, And I, I'll probably share stories. Absolutely. And what's your, your Twitter handle, Stephanie, so the folks at home know? You can find me at HelloCookie. All right, Steph. Thank you very much, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Good night, everyone. Good luck. Well... Good day to good day to everyone buying comics. I'm leaving. Goodbye. Have fun stuff. Good luck. All right. Now we're now and then there were three. She's gone. She's gone. Yeah. Um all right, so it's, we're doing things opposite way, but we're going to go into sort of our, our normal sort of book Oof. discussion at this point. Um lightning rounds and then our, our sort of shared discussion. Um I read a lot of books this week that did not come out this week. <laughs> Good for you. I like that. I read a, a lot of Omnibuy, so I have much to talk about when we get when we get to that section of stuff. Um, but uh, Steve, I'm going to have you up first here. Surely. I'm going to put. I'm going to change my timer from 30 minutes to three minutes. So that oh, come do on! I can do it. <laughs> um, my uh, no, it. my this beef stroganoff timer to the comic book timer. Um, and uh, set three minutes on the clock and <laughs> oh my God. go. Okay. Um, so since Joey isn't here, uh, he and I, I, I would like to speak for him just this once about Bill and Ted Go to Hell, number one from Boom Studios, written by Brian Joynas with art by Bachan and colors by Jeremy Lawson. Oh, my God. If you're a fan, I didn't read the last Bill and Ted um comic from boom like they had a i think like a four or five issue run not too far back but now they're back with bill and ted go to hell holy crap if you're a fan at all of the bill and ted movies and the the absolute stupid fun that they are you absolutely have to read bill and ted go to hell it's fantastic brian join us completely and totally matches the personalities, the humor, the kookiness, the outrageousness of that uh, film series. And I just grinning from ear to ear, from page one to page whatever, 32, I suppose. Um, everybody, with the, with there are a few exceptions, but so many people uh, and characters return to the series in a really clever way, uh, super quick. The plot is that uh, Bill and Ted have kept in touch with Death after the events of the second movie, and Death has gone missing. And he's been taken by somebody that Bill and Ted know, and uh, Bill and Ted essentially go down to go and see what's up, and they end up getting banned from hell and need to rally Rufus and their friends to find a back way in so that they can rescue Death and bring Death back to the world. Um, Again... If you're a fan at all of those characters or that series, you really should read this. It's a really sweet follow-up, and it it just complements it so wonderfully. Um, I loved it. I can't wait to check out the rest of the series. Uh, and really quick, the other book I wanted to mention is a graphic novel called Skim from Mariko and Jillian Tamaki. 
Uh, this is a story about a girl named Kimberly who's a goth who practices Wicca and goes to high school. And it's kind of like one of those slice of life, moment in time kind of books where you're watching this girl go through her later high school years and her entire life and her friendships and her relationships are all being uprooted and she's kind of discovering her sexuality and by way of that ends up in a relationship with one of her teachers and it just sets everything in her life on edge and um, it's this really, really incredible and empowering journey of just a regular you know, just a normal girl trying to figure herself out. And there's kind of a, a th like a through line of you never know who the people around you, even the people that you love, you never know who they really are. Uh, and that's kind of the theme of this. And you learn by the end that it's okay to explore the aspects of yourself that other people might deem as strange or, or uncool for the group. You should always just be you. Yeah. All right. And uh, and it was wonderful. It was it was really wonderful. It's gotten uh, tons and tons and tons of awards. They're all noted on the back. I mean, there's at least like 16 different awards here: Eisner Awards and ALAs and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, Marie, uh, Mariko and Julian Tamaki. For, uh, everything that I've read from them has been has been fantastic in its own weird way. And uh, so this is just another offering from them that I, I definitely recommend to people if that sounds like it's your bag. Now, who publishes this one again? Uh, I'm looking. It has a G on the uh, – that's all it is. Oh, Groundwood Books. Okay. Wow. Nice. House of Anansi Press. So, yeah, ground Groundwood Books, and that is called Skim, S-K-I-M. It's a nickname that Kimberly was given because of her – um, her Asian heritage and the color of her skin and so on and so forth. What was the first book, Steve? Uh, the first book was Bill and Ted Go to Hell, number one, from right. Boom Studios. Amazing. <laughs> so damn funny. Like, I don't know what you, what you, what either of you think of the Bill and Ted movies. For me, they're like just nostalgic, stupid fun. I watch them every couple of years and it's like, it's good to go back and just appreciate the ridiculousness of that movie and that two idiots can be responsible for changing an entire world with their music is so, so ridiculously funny. And, um, I mean, Brian join us. He's the, the guy we talked about last week that wrote imagine agents, which was excellent. Uh, he just nails it. Like he nails it. He nails the, the language of the characters, even the characters that come in, um, Misty, the the stepmother or mother rather is there, and you know people from the first movie. I don't want to really give too much away, but it's just when you figure out what's going on by the end of the book, if you're not laughing your ass off, then you've bought the wrong book. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun. I know Joey absolutely loved it, and I promised him that I would mention it uh, as part of my lightning round this week. I have a I have fond memories of the Bill and Ted movies. I uh I think Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey was one of the first movies I saw in the movie in a movie theater. That, yep. Um, I had a weird thing of seeing sequels to movies I hadn't seen the originals <laughs> of. Um, I saw that and a Problem Child two. I think were some of the first movies I ever oh saw. Oh my god! Yeah. So. <laughs> So yeah, so I have I have fond memories. I mean, especially of the of the first, uh, very fond memories of the first. But uh, William Sadler plays 
death, I believe, in the second one. Mm-hmm. I remember them playing like chess and stuff like that. It's like you, you. They open up the book, and death is uh, bad by robot himself. uses. I can yeah. <laughs> What's up? Evil robot uses. Yes, they're in the. They're in this too. Okay. <laughs> they're in this. They're kind of like the caretakers while while Bill and Ted are mm-hmm. off doing their band thing, gotcha. and they've reprogrammed them. But like the opening panels of this are death playing connect four with mm. himself <laughs> and he screams out he goes yes i am victorious i have made the connection of the four <laughs> and then he gets kidnapped and it starts this whole thing uh he's got a calendar in the background that has nyan cat on it and it's oh god it's like god wild stallions band practice uh marked on the calendar because he plays bass in the band like mm. it's just it's so ridiculous it's so over the top and i it really just transported me back to when those movies were, you know, the thing where, you know, mention, uh, making the Circle K joke mm-hmm. uh, among your friends. Like, you were cool <laughs> for doing that. And uh, you would be cool if you bought this comic. Mm. Well, <laughs> All right. Uh, nicely done. Steve works for Boom Studios. Um, <laughs> secretly. <don't> secretly. <laughs> All right. Cool. All right. Bob, are you ready? You got three minutes. Sure. And Go. Clean Room Number 5 by Gail Simona and John Davis Hunt just continues to be gloriously creepy and bizarre. I mean, just when you think you have a handle on where things are headed, the rug just gets pulled out from under you. And uh, I don't know if Number 6 will tie up anything at all, but six issues of this in a trade will a book you're going to have to read with the lights on and somebody else in the room, because this is just really strange. Marguerite Bennett has written two fine Red Sonia issues as notches on her belt uh, over on at, for Dynamite here. Here, Sonia learns that her decision to reject the throne of her country has led to an even worse situation than the one she thought she'd have by being the queen. Uh, for those concerned that this series would falter after Gail Simone left, I'm here to tell you that anyone who loved those, you, you should grab these two issues before they're going to disappear because they're going to end up being collectible and just a heck of a lot of fun to read. Bitch Planet number seven starts a new arc. And with the title of it being President Bitch, there's likely to be even more of the twist and reversal we've come to expect from this series by Kelly Sue DeConnick and Val DeLandro. Uh, Camus and Penny are still reeling from the shocking events that closed the Megaton match back in issue five. And that's caused even people in power to be in some very precarious situation. This is, as usual, thoughtful and infuriating and amazingly fun out of all that kind of stuff. So just another fabulous issue. Speaking of fun, there's Spider-Woman 4. And l- let me just say this. Uh, hopefully I can sneak this all in. <laughs> Do any of you have a friend who can tell like a really great story about the night they were born or the night their <laughs> children were born? And you feel just a little bit guilty that it's not your story somehow. <laughs> well, I, Jessica Drew's story of maternity wards in black holes and invading scrolls is the comic book version of that. <laughs> uh, Dennis Hopeless, Javier Rodriguez, it's just amazingly funny and touching there's some tremendous layouts here like you all you need to know is according to the letters page they are both new dads and they take that to this and uh they deliver the goods sorry <laughs> just had to say that uh and then there's the wonderment that is silver surfer number two we have guest appearances by alicia masters a little bit of from dawn hey who's that uh ben Grimm, and you even get to hear norn rad's theory of bacon mm. So what more can you want from a book (laughs) hearing what the Silver Surfer thinks about bacon? Mm -hmm. That's it for me. All right. Yeah, Silver Surfer was great, as as always. Not a a surprise there. Um, There was one... uh, His sort of, like, uh, 
I wouldn't even call impolite boredom is is very funny. Um, um, I I like the great galaxies that we're supposed to remain here for the entire gestation comment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but I I love how he sort of like falls into, you know, going on the little tour of her town and all Mm -hmm. that stuff with with, with him. Uh, And yeah, I mean, obviously it's not a surprise that Ben is in it because he's on the cover. But yeah, the way in which he's in it is, is interesting. Uh, we won't say. No, we won't say. We won't say. But it's 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 of course gorgeous and 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 very well done. Mm-hmm. Very very well done. Um, all right. So I'm gonna throw three minutes on my clock, and then, and then go through here. Oh, Bob, do you want to actually list through your books again before oh, we do uh, that? Clean Room Number Five, Red Sonia Number Two, Bitch Planet Number Seven, Spider Woman Number Four, and Silver Surfer Number Two. All right. Perfect. All right, and here I go. Let me leave the number up here. Okay, there it is. All right, go. All right, firstly, uh, Thor, number four. Um, Jason Aaron and, and Russell Dowderman continues to be just r- better and better, I, I, I think. I think that th- this this second sort of volume, I guess, of, of, this, of this character has really been just improving upon what they did in the first. Uh, the art continues to be absolutely stunning, uh, so dynamic, so good gorgeous so just big and bombastic but also very personal and uh there's just some great character reveals here and and some really 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 just i think iconic moments like i think they'll be iconic in in in, in the future um especially the very kind of last big moment that happens uh it's just sort of one of those sort of like you know open mouth gaping mouth sort of moments and I think, although it's obviously well-worn territory in the history of, of Thor, uh, the way that they've incorporated Loki in, into this story has just been great. The, the the how different Loki is, how different Thor is, mm-hmm. is made for a, a whole new way to sort of examine those dynamics together, and it, it's it's been some of my favorite stuff so far. Um, and really quickly as well, uh, Sex Criminals uh, number fourteen was was excellent. Some very meta stuff happens, and I'll just mm. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, but really wonderful stuff. And then uh, one of the big things I've been reading, uh, I read two om- omnibi this this week. <laughs> one of which we'll talk about in my larger section. But first, uh, I read the first volume of Jeff Johns's Flash uh, omnibi, and it's it's a very interesting read because. We're so used to now. We talked about this before. Um, even this was only, I think this was, no, this is a while. 2000, 2000 is when he took over the Flash. So like 15, 16 years ago at this point. So it is a long time. But um, we're so used to now, whenever somebody gets, when there was a big new creator on something or a new creative team, things seem to start over in some way, right? They seem to go. And that's not what happens here. This was Flash number whatever it was, you know, 248 or whatever it was, 185 or whatever, you know, I think it was volume two at, th- at that point. Uh, and it just kind of keeps going, and it throws you in a very weird position when it, when it starts. Wall, it's Wally, Wally West, mm-hmm. Flash, obviously. Wally West in some weird other dimension. They didn't know he got there. He doesn't have his speed, and everything's sort of topsy turvy. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, you just you don't even know what's really going on for for a few issues. And then even after that, you're, you're not really back in main like regular Earth in, until probably about halfway through the omnibus of like 12 or so issues. Wow. It's a short collection uh, for an omnibus. There's about three volumes of the Jeff John stuff. But uh, it flips. It's, it's Ethan Van Scriver, Scott Collins, and I cannot remember the third. I'll have to look it up after I do this part. Uh, uh, artist. But it's it has a really... It's really fascinating to read it because it, it still has a lot of sort of 
old style feel to it. It has a lot of sort of like that G golliness to it at times. It has some of that um, sort of, and this is what the Flash was doing then sort of, <laughs> sort of stuff to it. I think obviously on purpose because we're at yeah. 2000, we, that's been kind of left behind at that point. Um, but I, I've, I, I've read a lot of Jeff Johns's sort of event stuff with the Flash or sort of miniseries stuff with the Flash, but I, this, I've never really read his sort of month to month stuff. So it was a really interesting read to get into. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, it's uh it's great to read Wally again. It, it, this came right after he took off the mantle, basically right after um, Wade stopped writing the Flash in '99 or something like that. So uh, it's kind of directly after that. So it continues that in some ways, but it's obviously a totally different voice. So especially with the with the show being on and liking it so much, it's been fun to sort of go into that and see sort of some of the inspiration for a lot of what is in the show because a lot of the show pulls from Jeff Johns's Johns's stuff. A lot of big focus on. Um, kind of the reforming and, and re-bringing back of the rogues. That was sort of his big yeah. sort of thing that he wanted to do. So Captain Cold, Mirror Master, Weather Wizard, the, all those characters are uh, magenta. A lot, of, a lot of these big characters kind of in in, in the fray almost almost immediately. And uh, it's been really, it was really great to read it. I, it it's funny because it doesn't, really not until the end does it really start to get into the the, like the the flash stuff you would think about if you we were picking up a you know a volume of Jeff Johns's flash all the rogues are finally sort of reformed uh-huh. and, and they're going on and I know for a lot of listeners probably like yes I read that 15 years ago or whatever <laughs> but uh it's fun I'm definitely going to keep going and and read it through I know that uh Justin Townsend has all three volumes because I borrowed the first one from him. So <laughs> you can time to pay a visit to yeah. Justin's house. Yes, I'll be yeah. borrowing the other two from him as as well. But yeah, it was a really great read. It was one of, like I said, one of two Omnibuy that I that I checked out. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was really really good. Um, it's interesting to read. It was a shorter omnibus. It wasn't too big. It was um, like I said, I think it was like twenty. 18 to 24 issues. It's weird because the other ones are much bigger. The other two volumes, I, I'm wondering why they collected it in, in the way How that they did. How many issues did he do totally? Maybe they just want to split them up more It's weird because the, the, the next two are about equal, but they're much, much bigger. Huh. They're like double the size of, of the That's one. That's weird. So I don't understand why it is that way. Like it, it looks like a, like a very, like it looks like a very big, you know, hardcover of something like it looks like it doesn't look like an omnibus um so i don't i don't know why they released it that way but does the story break naturally sort of yeah but i, I couldn't imagine they couldn't throw another six issues yeah, that's true into yeah. it. why not I, I don't know i don't i don't yeah. know how they, they usually break up that stuff so i'm not an expert on that but i'm sure there probably is a reason why they did it that way but it is that way there's also it's interesting because there's one issue in it that is not it's all of a sudden in on the outskirts of stuff there's like a an invasion by dark side going on and it's not anywhere else okay. in any of the story. So it must've been like DC event going on. And here's like the tie in issue to yeah. that of the flash. It was a very bizarre thing as not being in, in the mix of it to, to read it. It had a, but it was all about black racer. Um, so it was interesting. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Um, like touching people and kind of, you know, he's like death or, or whatever. Shocking. Death, death on skis. <laughs> it's such a weird character. Oh yeah. <laughs> The fourth world. <laughs> He's like this guy with a like a god, like a kind of like a like a very new gods looking helmet on his well, that's head. What he, that's what he's yeah. one of them. Yeah. yeah, but he 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 flies around on skis. <laughs> I, he, look, it, <laughs> Jack Kirby had just gone to DC and he couldn't bring the Silver Surfer with him, so he has the Black Racer. 
Instead of a surfboard, he has skis. And you should mention he has the poles. Well, he no, may not. He has, no, he, he did. Has the he, ski did poles. he did have the ski yeah. poles. And he used the ski poles. He'd touch people and they would, they would, yeah. they would die. <laughs> and then, wow. he gets, then he gets a hot cocoa. <laughs> it, is, it was the... When I turned the page and saw him the first time, I was Jack, <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, he he uses them in a in a very good way, and it's there's like emotional kind of payoff to everything. But it's just it's just such a ridiculous character, such a ridiculous ridiculous <laughs> yeah. character. Yeah. So yeah. So but I, I'm looking forward to to reading more because I he, he writes a great set of rogues. So I I just really love reading those. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me just second your Thor vote because oh, yeah. it is stunning. Oh. It's hard to imagine it can be better than it has been. I know. But it's just uh, issue after issue of staggering layouts and amazing characters. <laughs> and yeah, I am I spoiling anything by saying who Thor is at this point? No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. Uh, the story of Jane Foster as, as Thor and what happens to her it just mm. gets deeper and deeper and. I'm going to be sad if she leaves eventually. I know. It's going to be really weird. <laughs> I, I love Thor, but yeah. I love this Thor just as much. Yeah. So. It's <sighs> going to be very interesting. If it, I don't know how that's going to feel when it actually happens. But well, we'll have to see. We'll s- if it happens. Yeah, Steve, that grunt makes me feel like you did not read it. I packed a, a number of physical issues. I read Batman from last week. Holy hell. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it was really good. The Alfred stuff in particular was fantastic. But I made a stack for myself. I brought a, I brought a bunch of stuff with me with the intention of – because I've been collecting Thor physically. Like I'm still buying it because I love – that book is so ridiculously vibrant and the, the, the inks just kind of come off the page. That's one of the things that I'm still buying physically. But I bought the fourth one this past Wednesday and came back to came back home and I was all set and I went to my stacks and I ripped them open <gasps> and I brought every damn thing except for Thor. <laughs> so I just threw my hands up in the air and declared that I suck and uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to wait until I get home to catch up. And I have issue number four staring me in the face right now, <laughs> right on the table. <laughs> But I can't wait to check it out. I actually haven't read it since uh, issue one, mm. so I have a little bit of uh, catching up to do. Yeah, you do. I do. There are certain things that I've become like completely content with, like collecting and waiting to read them in like one epic lump. And and Thor, among others, is one of those books that you can do that with. And just by the end of it, just a big solid fist pump into the air, <laughs> like whoa! So, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So the third artist is uh, Angel Unzeta. Um, Zeta. It was very, very good. I, yeah. I, um, probably my I, uh, Scott Collins' art is also is probably my favorite of, of the of the three, but also great for the first um, first artist. Um, yeah. All right. So Steve, uh, what what book did you want to talk about more in depth this week? Brought all these Spider-Man comics, <laughs> all these Ultimate comics, all these Batgirl comics. I'm sorry. I'm just. It's all right. <laughs> rambling. Okay. Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, every now and again, I'll talk about a book on this podcast that I will wholeheartedly recommend to just about everyone, everyone, anyone that can handle the subject matter. This tonight is one of those books. Uh, it's from Magnetic Press, 
and it's called A Glance Backward. It is by Pierre Paquette and Tony Sandoval. Tony Sandoval is the uh, writer slash artist of uh, that book we talked about a while back, both Steffi and I called Doom Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you have here is A Glance Backward is a dedication, uh, Tony and Pierre, uh, primarily Pierre kind of sending a love letter to his family and to his sons in particular. Uh, the story goes as follows. Joseph is a small boy, small school boy, probably around the age of like 10 or 11 years old and takes the bus to school every day, day in, day out, just like we used to. And one day his routine kind of changes where there's a, um, like a curiosities shop or, or, or an all arounder shop in town. And so he decides to get off, off the bus and go in and he buys fireworks. He's all like cloak and dagger about it. He thinks he's doing something mischievous and something mean. If his mom finds out, she's going to scold him. So he's doing something to, to liven his, his day up. Right. And he gets home and his, the way his house works is that all of the bedrooms are in the basement. So before his mom can greet him at the door, he runs downstairs and makes his way into the basement and decides that he's going to save the fireworks for the weekend, but he's got to hide them somewhere. So in between going down the steps into his bedroom, in the corner of his eye, he notices that there's a, there's a statue. There's two statues. There's one of um, Mother Mary and a child uh, off in the corner, and he sees the child move. Like it, it physically moves and he becomes alarmed. So he stashes the fireworks and he walks over to the statue and the statue actually like the legs separate and it goes behind the Mother Mary. And so when Joseph reaches for the statue, he misses and his hand goes through the wall that the that was behind the statue and he gets sucked into like a gigantic hourglass that is turning over and as it turns over and as he goes through the grains of sand when he comes out the other end he winds up in this like absolutely positively insane uh dreamscape if you want to think of like oz as as having several different paths and places and things and they're all separated by walls and every time that Joey uh, makes it into one of these new worlds. He has to punch his way through kind of like a superhero would punch through walls. So as he's going, his, his whole objective is to get home, right? He's a little kid. He doesn't understand where he is. He's frightened. And there are all these really just weird characters. There are undertakers in top hats and black coats. There are talking animals. There are, you know, wood nymphs and water fairies and speaking ducks and just all of these strange people. And it's all done with this kind of like a myriad of different art types. You have whole pages that look like they were painted with grease paints. You have other pages that looked like they were done digitally using like more cartoonish style of graphics. You have um, other stuff that's all done in watercolor. And as you're punching through these walls and you're and he's trying to make his way home, he's having all these different conversations with all these different weird people as he asks them for help. And instead of helping him home, 
each one of them kind of teaches him a life lesson. And um, while all this is happening, there's kind of this man in like a dark brown coat and you can't see his face. All you can see is his hat and his glasses and he's carrying a candle. So like he's only illuminated by the candle flame and he keeps reappearing and disappearing and luring, you know, Joey further and further into this labyrinth of his mind. And I know I'm describing this book a lot, but like there's a lot in here. And I'm sitting down and I'm reading it and I'm reading it and I'm like, this is really interesting. This is, you know, uh, this crazy journey of this kid. He falls in love. Like he learns what love is uh, through one character, this woman that he keeps uh, running into. And it's just a story about a little boy having like a fever dream and he's going to be a man by the end of the book and that's going to be it. And then I got to like the last couple of pages and when his journey ends, uh, Pierre and Tony kind of blow the curtain back on what's actually happening in Joey's life and it it changes your perspective of the entire journey and you and you you kind of reassess like what the journey actually was trying to be vague on purpose because I don't want to ruin anything for anybody that wants to pick up this book but um, it is a visual feast for anybody who loves like all different types of comic book art. There's like a little bit of something in here everywhere. Um, the book becomes rather violent at times. Some terrible things happen to Joey along his journey. So if that sort of stuff bothers you, I would uh, be wary before picking this up. But I... I would be hard pressed to believe that anybody that really loves comics and loves art in general would pick up this book and thumb through it and not at least be a little bit curious about reading it. Um, it's certainly one of the most powerful books that I've read uh, in quite some time. So right, that is right. my giant ranting monologue <laughs> for uh, a glance backward by magnetic press, very, very generously priced at 1999 retail uh more than worth i mean i would have i would have paid much more for this book um but yeah i mean you know me like i i like these kind of you know i kill giants uh coming of age books but with like substance and 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 harsh lessons and and kind of through through traumatic events forcing these children to kind of have a different perspective about the world and, and their place in it. And this is certainly one of those books. And I'm, I'm steadily finding out that those are like kind of my favorite types of stories. And um, by the end of this book, it just, it hit every note for me. It was wonderful. Right. Any questions? No, I think you covered yeah. it. <laughs> I know I go on and on. I don't really, I don't really give anybody a chance to jump in. I kind of steamroll when, uh, especially when I'm on the headset in Canada and I don't, I don't have you guys in front of me. I can't make silly faces at you or yeah. Bobby can't give me the wrap it up eyebrows. Yeah. So. Uh, I was passionate and, and heartfelt and that's important. Well, that's what I mean. If you read like the forward, um, there's a really nice forward in here. Our introduction by Scotty Young. Uh, and he just he goes into the effects of of fatherhood and and what it does for you and how much you are afraid to let your you know your your child go off into the world without you and 
how do you explain some of its harsher lessons to them when they come along without forcing them to grow up before they should, you know? And um, I just, I mean, right on the cover, if you, if you look at the cover to this book, uh, Joey's got these roots kind of uh, growing, like they're they're growing out of the ground and the ground is like covered in red leaves and blood and the, the land that he's in at that time is very barren and, and it's smoky and, and dead dead flowers and dead weeds. And then on the other end, as the roots kind of go through his chest, they're coming out of his back. And as they come out of his back, all the uh, like all the foliage is like really lush and green and the flowers are blooming. And, you know, it's like you go into an event one way and as you're broken down, you come out the other side a new person. And that's that's what this book is for this eleven year old or whatever the hell he is, uh, that just has this really really surreal and uh, poignant day in his life, and uh, it's it's quite amazing. So like I put it I put it down at the end, and I just went like whoa, and I had to put it down and then and, and step away and kind of pace around the room for a few minutes to digest it. So. All right. I'll shut up now. Cool. <laughs> so, Steve, I, I sent you emoticons on the Skype chat of 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 the wrap it up faces. Yes. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm really enjoying our uh, emoticon conversations before, during, and after the show. Skype has some good emoticons. They, uh... I love the dude. Those video clips. You see the one of the horse? Yeah. Holy crap! Skype's like, weird. What even is that? I don't know. Skype's weird. Skype <laughs> is very weird. <clears throat> All right, um, Bob. I feel like you've been waiting to talk about have a reason to talk about these characters for I don't know how long time. ever since every episode we've ever done this show um, you wrote a fantastic article oh, thank for you. Talking Comics uh, Hero for Hire about Luke mm-hmm. Cage uh, which you can find up there right now check that out um, but we have Power Man and Iron Fist came out this week yes we do David Walker Sanford Green Lee Lowridge and VCs Clayton Cowles mm-hmm. on letter and production mm-hmm. whatever that means if you're a fan of these characters from their various iterations before, and most particularly the original Luke Cage and Iron Fist, and then their team up that began with issue 50 way, way back when, those traits that made them beloved to you then are here. It is the best kind of buddy cop movie. Hmm. It, it's a, it's the fish out of water story as these two very disparate characters work together. Not sure how exactly or why, whoever came up with this back in the day, but it worked. I mean, initially the two characters were in faltering books that got shoved together and sort of like that old, you know, you got chocolate in my peanut butter kind of thing. It just came together and particularly uh, back in the day, as the kids like to say, when it was Mary Jo Duffy who picked up the book with issue 56, she did about three years of just wildly humorous Tons of Marvel history interwoven into it. And this book starts right away. You're back into, okay, it's the new set of things. Luke is married to Jessica. Baby Danielle is around. Just uh, not happy that he cusses. So he's <laughs> still, you know, back in the old days, he was sweet sister and sweet Christmas and, you know, motherless son of a whatever it was. Well, now here it's fiddle faddle mm-hmm. and knickknack paddywhack and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> Danny has got Luke on a mission. It's to 
bust out of prison. Actually, she's not busted out. She's being paroled. It's Jenny Royce, their old office manager. She's from the uh, Mary Jo Duffy days. Because she's been possessed and killed her crime boss, supervillain boyfriend. And she's missing a piece of jewelry that was her grandmother's. And, and it's a mission for you guys. And Luke's like, no, we're not. That's, we're done. We mm-hmm. did that. We're not doing this anymore. I'm finished with that. It was at the end of, was it New Avengers or Mighty Avengers? We just walked away with, with Jess and was like, yeah, we did that. Save the world. I'm out yeah, of here. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember yeah, it was, was one of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so here it's, no, we're not, we're not doing that. Come on. You got to do it for us. Danny just wants to do this. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, Jessica likes silent Danny. <laughs> not so thrilled with chatty Danny. What's well, why? Because you never tell her. I say all these lovely things. <laughs> so it's it's just a lot of fun, and yet we're tons of old history. They're, they're sitting in a diner. There are pictures on the wall. It's Stanley autographed pictures, and actually, there's a picture of Mary Jo Duffy autographed for, mm-hmm. for those really paying attention. But there's action and humor and just heart. These are characters that somehow belong together, and they've been apart now for. Two or two and a half decades, I suppose, <laughs> between the real Power Man or, or Hero mm. for Hire been together. Uh, the dynamic is there. The fun is there. David Walker obviously has a great love for these characters, and it's there on just every single page. Uh, the art by Sanford Green is mm-hmm. is wildly funny, action-packed, interesting layouts, great use of colors by Lee Larridge to, to get into and out of flashbacks and to change the mood up. Just a, an absolutely fun book. Now, how much history do you guys have with these characters now coming into this book as a number one? Yeah, so that's one of the things I was going to say about the book. I have really zero. I mean, I I read well, I read a most of um, the Immortal Iron Fist, like the Mad Fraction. Fraction, Ed Brubaker stuff, which doesn't really deal with Luke very much at all. And you know, I've I've read things here or there with them in other books. You know, uh, at the end of the Bendis uh, Avengers stuff, mm-hmm. they were kind of around, uh, and some other stuff here or there w- w- with them. Defenders with 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 Danny, yep. obviously the Fraction Defenders run. Um, and so, but that lack of of history with the characters, um, is what I I, won't, I don't want to call them reservations, but it's what I think stopped me from enjoying the book as fully as someone like you who has a deep history with the characters because I know the basic idea and they, they sort of cover the basic idea here as well. They have the mm-hmm. sort of little flashback stuff that happens and, and you get to see them and you get their their relationship is very obvious. Anyone who's ever watched a buddy cop or buddy movie at all, mm-hmm. they but there were things that I felt like were leaned on by David Walker that were... Um, things that I think meant more if you had a history with the characters that the whole the, the character that they come they kind of go to you know is I think a character that I have no idea who that is so yeah. uh any sort of any any sort of attachment they had to her any sort of feeling of loyalty they had to her all I got of that was just what they said which was they had they they owed something to her they, they said oh come on it's this person we should do this for them so you get a sense that they're 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 solid friends you know you so you, you get a sense of their characters a little bit but I didn't have any connection to her as, as a character or to their connection to that character. Um, obviously, I, the Jessica Jones stuff is a little bit easier to sort of uh, get to because whenever I've read Luke Cage in, at all in the last however many years, he's already been with Jessica, so there's been something there. And of course, the show that just mm-hmm. came out, so you know that they have they have a relationship. But 
that and then there's something that happens specifically at the end of the book it's like the last page of the book mm-hmm. and i know that moment is supposed to be like oh shit like you know that's supposed to be that one of those moments and, and because i don't i don't know what's going on i was like okay <laughs> like i i've read enough comics to know i'm supposed to i'm supposed to say oh shit to this but um for me it was kind of like just like okay like this this happened so i i don't what is probably for a lot of people who are invested in the character something that brings you forward brings you okay i need to see what happens next because i want to see how this character sort of becomes part mm-hmm. of it for me it was like okay like i guess like i liked i liked the sort of feeling of the book and, and the look of the book so i'll probably pick up another one but this moment isn't the thing that's gonna gotcha. drive me through so i had mixed feelings about the book because of that i left the book feeling having that like that was good you know, feeling to it where I was really pumped to read it. I was really excited to read it. I love Iron Fist, especially. I, I love the idea uh, of reading a, a book mm-hmm. featuring Luke Cage. So I was all in. I think it's a perfect art style f- for the book, but I left it not with that, like, yeah, feeling or that, like, Aww. that was a hell of a number one yeah. with that feeling of, like, I'm I'm gonna have to see how I feel when next month comes along and the book pops up again. You know that, and which I was disappointed. I was disappointed in my disappointment in, gotcha. in that way. You know what I mean? Because I really wanted to love it really badly. Uh, Steve, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed it. I um, like you. I had a problem connecting to uh, her. Her name Jeannie. Jenny. Jenny. Okay. Um, like Bobby had said, I understood that this was somebody from their past and as like a new reader to the series and as a number one, you just kind of have to accept some things. Uh, but I mean, in terms of, of the, the buddy cop aspect of it, for me, Sanford Green is, his artwork is just absolutely spectacular. There are panels in this comic that are, are just had me in stitches. Uh, the one in particular where Jessica and Luke are sitting on the couch and their child is cursing and, yes. and Jessica's kind of telling Luke that he has to change his ways. Um, I've talked about the way that I love when like small faces are drawn on characters. I don't know how else to describe it, but Sanford Green kind of has that playful small face from far away thing going on. And all of his characters are so highly expressive. There's another one where there's a guy walking next to Luke Cage in the middle of the street and he's got a selfie stick. Yeah. And he's like giving it the finger guns with this big, like, you know, <laughs> cheering face on. And it's just hilarious. Um I loved seeing I mean, can I talk about the the villain? Um I wouldn't. I don't think Okay. Well, wait, wait, which villain are you talking about? Not not the finale. Not the finale. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Okay. So I loved the character design for Tombstone. Mm. He's like almost like a like a dead mackerel in, <laughs> in like a like a humunculus um like humanoid fish man walking around and I just I loved his giant lips and his crooked teeth. Like I've seen him in a, like a couple of different mm. uh mm. renditions of him, but I th- thought this one was particularly disgusting. And uh, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, I like the buddy cop stuff. I like the idea that there's this rich history. I mean, admittingly, I did not know, I don't know very much about the history of these characters. But after doing a podcast with Bob for five years, (laughs) I have an appreciation for them and kind of this 
like built in, I had like a built in excitement and affinity for this book coming out just based off of the fact that like one of my closest friends like has been waiting for this return. So I think I'm, I'm letting up on it a little bit more than I normally would. But, um, I mean, from beginning to end, I thought it was really entertaining. I, I, I didn't trust a, a character throughout and, and my suspicions were correct. <laughs> But uh, you know, I'm definitely in for a number two. I'd be I'd be curious to see where it goes from here. Mm. I think both of the characters have awesome personalities that play well with one another, and uh, I mean, it seems to be written from a perspective of somebody trying to honor the old while introducing the new, and that's kind of what we talk about wanting from these new books. Mm-hmm. So in that in that regard, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, for me, the characterization is great. Like that—that's what I took away from it the most was I loved the the, the, the characters in it. Um, I'm just waiting for sort of the the story hook, the right, sort of the entry point that exactly, gets you into exactly, it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right, it's so I funny because the chemistry is there. The chemistry is totally there, um, and it pops in a, re- a really nice yeah. way. Um, it's funny that you what you just said, Steve, because that's exactly kind of what we were talking about with the TC stuff earlier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is like kind of an example of I think what uh, what we might be looking at with some of those books. But hey, man, if they can if they can deliver stuff like this for all of those legacy characters and beyond, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I and I love you know one of the things I, I, I it does you know it's like storytelling one on one, but you have two characters who are are going to obviously have oppose have opposing ideas of what they want the future mm-hmm. to be, and that that friction I think is going to be very entertaining as as the, as the series goes goes on, um, and. This is sort of my preferred Danny, which is this sort of like, um, not hapless, but you know, a little bit of like a comic relief type mm. of character. You know, obviously very, very able because when when stuff gets ready to go, he he's pretty much out there. You uh, and know, he's thrilled that it's gonna yes, go. yeah. But this idea, like the you know. That that line when things kind of go to shit, and he says, "I didn't even say anything." Like yeah. that that sort of those yeah. sort of moments, I really really like w- w- with him. And um, it's one of the reasons why I when, I when I was excited about it, I wasn't really into the Living Weapon series that was out. Uh, the Kyrie Andrews, mm-hmm. I think, was that who wrote it? Yeah, Kyrie Andrews. No, something. It's some. I gotta look it up. I thought it was Carrie. Carrie Andrews. K A R K A A R R E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think that's who it was. Yeah. Um, that series I wasn't really super into because it, it was a much more kind of, um, you know, Marvel Knights more look at the character rather than this type of look at the character. So in that way, I'm I'm very happy. And with no solo, Iron uh, Iron Fist book, uh, I'm very happy to read read this. It's very interesting. They called it Power Man and Iron Fist. Yes. Since he's not called Power Man anymore, no, don't call me that. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> well, isn't there another character named Power Man? Yes, and he was in the Mighty Avengers. Yeah, right. right. Yes, and th- there was a Power Man and Iron Fist series featuring that other character. Uh, okay, gotcha. But again, he wasn't Luke Cage Power Man to start with. Right. So he was the hero for hire until mm-hmm. he needed a more superhero name to get the book to sell. Gotcha. <laughs> and it kind of worked. I, I, I know I talked about. Uh, it's in my article, but we, when Kelly Sue DeConnick was on the first time, I guess it was, there was an issue of her Captain Marvel. I think it's number eight or nine, or actually the two issues mm-hmm. where Monica Rambo shows up mm-hmm. and they argue about who gets to be Captain Marvel. Yeah. Well, issue twenty-one of this, the Power Man who fought the Avengers, 
and who's eventually in the Thunderbolt shows up, shows up in, in Luke's world to go, no, I'm Power Man. <laughs> and they have a huge, <laughs> huge brawl, which gotcha. you can see the last page of if you look at my article. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it here. You gotta, or go buy Luke Cage, Power Man number 21. It'll probably cost you about $4 at this point. <laughs> uh, first issue is worth some, some serious change mm. at this point, especially with the TV series coming. Mm. But they're all available. There's also a black and white, Essentials. So okay. Two volumes of that, mm-hmm. and they've just started uh, Masterworks. And I'm yeah. pretty sure the Iron Fist has been collected in the Essentials mm. as well. There, yeah. are only, there are only 15 issues of that, plus a couple of Marvel premieres, which mm. we talked about yeah. way back when. Way too. back when. Way back when. And I mean, I'll say this that the Mortal Iron Fist stuff, the Matt Fraction stuff, is absolutely mm. worth reading, as is the Defenders, obviously. Yeah. Um, both great takes on, uh, 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 on the Iron Fist side of, of the coin there. Only one of which I cursed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, the other one was too early for you to curse. Yeah, I'm sure would, if they've been out when you, I would have cursed. You would have cursed too, it too. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So uh, yeah, Power Man and Iron Fist, uh, number one. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious. It's one of those books that, that I'm very anxious to see how it develops a, a, as we go along because mm-hmm. I think it has the potential to be a really great book. Um, it's just the the hook isn't isn't there for me yeah. yet. So we'll see how it goes with that. Uh, so for me, like I don't know how much time we'll spend talking about it. It's just something that it's one of those things where I feel like it's. It's a weird thing that I haven't, I had not read it up until this point because it's Joss Whedon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I read Joss Whedon and John Cassidy's uh, Astonishing X Men uh, omnibus. uh, There was their omnibi I read this week. Steve, you've read this, right? Yes, I have. I feel like a a couple months ago or last year or something, you talked about it. Uh, Oh, it was way, yeah, it was was way before that. It was probably almost three years ago. Really? Time just smushes together. Uh, Oh, totally. So, so it's, this is one of those things where uh, before when we were talking about kind of casual comic book fans, this is one thing I, re- I had read at least a f- the one or two issues of this a few times. Like I'd read the first couple issues of Gifted a bunch of times. Um, and Gifted is a story that I, I kind of knew the sort of outlined premise of as I think of all the arcs. Uh, it's four six issue arcs. Uh, I think of all of them, it's the most famous of them, which is sort of the mutant cure f- ah. idea. That's where the idea came from. They use it in X three, a little less said about in that. not a yeah. very good way, but they they take definitely definitely they take a lot of elements from that story or some basic elements from that story to shape the idea of that cure. Um, in, in that obviously things are a little, a little different. Uh, and then and it's interesting because there are certain characters right that come from this run, like uh the character of Danger, who is sort of the um you know anthropomorphized Danger Room mm-hmm. comes from he created her, uh, her and also Abigail Brand is obviously another character oh. that he created uh, in, in, in his run so those are two kind of major characters um, that first run the the, the I, I think sort of the mission statement when it first got made and I will say um, the first episode of Mara and Matt's legendary runs is Astonishing X-Men so if you want to hear a very in-depth discussion about the book uh, listen, listen to that but sort of under the idea like let's let's it's right after Morrison's run. Let's pare the X-Men back down and, and go from there. And sort of the, the premise of Gifted is not just the heroes thing, but the X-Men want to be superheroes again. So it's let, let's get rid of the the black leather let, let, and let's put on our costumes again because superheroes wear wear costumes. You know, yes. that's what they do. And let's go out and save people. We're not just going to we're not just going to save people from out of control mutants we're gonna go just save people so there's a couple issues there's an issue especially i don't remember what episode what issue it is seven or something like that where they end up um in new york fighting a giant monster and the fantastic four show up and they're kind of like hey this is kind of our thing you yeah. know <laughs> you don't fight big monsters in the middle of uh of new york city that's what we do um they're kind of like yeah but can you imagine the good press that we would get if they were fighting with the fantastic four so there, there's that stuff going on 
Um, and uh, it, it's notable because it brings Kitty back into the fold of, of sort of the mainline oh. X-Men universe uh, with lots of sort of... Uh, there's, there's her kind of return to the mansion has these great sort of nostalgic bits where there's like panels echoing, you know, some of her big, some of her moments leaving there, like the Xavier, you're a jerk sort of thing yeah. and all that kind of stuff are, are all there. And she's sort of the way in for us. She's sort of our, our into the story. Uh, and um, my major, he writes a fantastic Kitty Pride. She's such a great character. And um, the, the, you know, the way she sort of, She's sort of the central character, and she's sort of the one that saves the day at the end. And then uh, there's a whole big thing that because she was gone for a while, but she basically saves the entire day. And I'm not, I, I feel like I can talk about this freely because it's yeah, kind yeah, of an yeah. old run. Um, but there's this whole thing where um, there's there's a subplot going on through the entire story that kind of comes to the head at, at the last arc, which is um, this character named Ord in this this world called the Bla- the Break World, which um, there's a prophecy in their world that a mutant is going to destroy their, their world. So they kind of send this guy to Earth to try to kind of wipe out the mutants before that, that can happen. That he's the one who kind of engineers the cure, all this kind of stuff. They end up on that world at the end and they have this kind of failsafe that they're going to destroy the entire world, if not. And they basically, the, the, the X-Men think they're going to shoot this missile, but it ends up being this like giant bullet. So there's no propulsion. You can't, they can't stop it. It's just this giant thing that keeps going. And Kitty, she's trying to disarm the missile, and she ends up falling into this bullet, and she gets stuck in it. And, and as, it, as it goes hurtling towards Earth, Earth can't people of Earth can't stop. And I would say, if you don't want to hear the end of Astonishing X-Men, you should probably stop listening yeah. um, right now. She's the only one. She, she phases this giant bullet through the Earth. But in, in doing so she can't separate from it because it was so big and the bullet will, it will never stop because it's just, there's no, it just keeps going and going and going. So she's sort of lost and she sacrifices herself to, to do that. And it's a really like amazing moment and, and uh, a really great ending, I think to, to the arc. Um, and I really like all four pieces of it. Um, I know that the release schedule when it was coming out was like ridiculous. Like, like it started in 2004 and didn't end until 2008 and it oh. was, it was four arcs. So <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing. But I really enjoyed all of it. I, it was very nice to nice and interesting to go back to a time where Cyclops was just like a straight up good guy, and he's still going through a lot of stuff. But I really liked the way that he he wrote the, the character quite a bit. Um, I really liked the beast stuff in it. He does writes really good uh, Emma Frost, I, I think as well. And I love the character of Danger and and the idea of that 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 whole idea of that character and what that what that character can do. And uh, the third arc, which is a very strange arc, as it like brings in uh, a character named Cassandra Nova, who was, I believe, a Morrison thing, and she's a super powerful psychic. So uh, basically, the whole arc is basically just like the X Men kind of under her thrall without knowing it. So they're seeing a lot of like their worst fears brought brought to light. Beast is turned into like this. Um, like completely feral animal, which he's always been scared of happening to him. Wolverine is kind of reverted back to like the dandy, you know, like Canadian, like aristocrat that he was. And he doesn't remember, you know, so all this kind of stuff. And Cyclops doesn't have his powers. And, and they, Kitty goes to this horrible thing where they sort of like implant this thing where she had a, a child. And then the X-Men took the child away from her. And it's like three years of stuff that gets her into her head that she has to sort of get, get over. Um, and, it, and I, it's it's very it's very mired i think most the most of anything that mired in old continuity but it reminded me a lot of i think you've watched up to this point right bob uh 
the the last episode of season four of Buffy, which is like after the whole like army thing has happened and there's like that weird kind of shared dream yes. sequence they have. The whole arc reminded me of that. And I, I, I uh. kind of really love that episode. So I was I was into that a lot. Um, it was incredibly enjoyable. And he writes the dialogue great. Of course, he's, he's a master at writing team stuff and, and just, you know, great back and forth stuff. I, I think. Cassidy is obviously known for being late on stuff and and I think his his more recent work has not been great but I loved the stuff in here and Laura Martin is the colorist and she's you know amazing so all that stuff is really kind of beautiful and he also brought back Colossus that was another thing that he did um and there's this wonderful and it's talked about actually in the, in the back I think Brian K. Vaughn writes sort of like the 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 afterward to it but there's this great moment where um they're they're breaking into the x-men are breaking into the place where the cure is being developed to try to figure out what's going on and they've learned that there's something you know down below and, and there's like a subject and so kitty goes down and she sort of unlocks this lock and when the, and she doesn't know what she's gonna find when the door opens it's colossus and there's just this moment there's just like a, like there's like four or five panels where like she's like staring and it's all they're all silent he like runs through her you know phases through her and then she just puts her hand on her mouth and she has this look on her face, this like absolute look of shock and and wistfulness and sadness, because obviously they were kind of a a, a couple, yeah. and and so it's sort of just a wonderful, wonderful moment between the two of them. And he writes a very good Colossus as well. It was, and it was very fun to read right after watching Deadpool sure. <laughs> to have that, that character. But overall, I I really really enjoyed it. I I you know I I, I wouldn't say there's anything that really was a, a low point to me. I I really dug it. I read I consumed it ultra fast i read all 24 issues in something like a day so uh really really loved it um nice to go check out a run that i had heard so much about and that i wanted to like and like it as much as i did um steve do you have any mem- uh standout memories from that you know it's it's funny like i've been i've been dreading you coming around to me and asking <laughs> me about it the whole time you've been talking about it it's such great detail i mean i read it it had to have been at least two two and a half years ago Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time saying, first of all, it came super highly recommended mm-hmm. by a bunch of people. I believe even one of our listeners had uh, given me like his collected copies. They're they're mm-hmm. in my collection back home. And I remember reading it and really, really loving it and like claiming that it was, you know, oh, oh it was my favorite X-Men story that I had read to date. And Granted, at that point, I hadn't read too many, but it was really engaging. The writing was great. I love Kitty Pride as a character. So very a lot of the story being centered on her was super nice. But then as a byproduct of reading that, I then had everybody come out to me and say, well, have you read Uncanny X-Force? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, what's that? And then, of course, I went down that road. And then that that stands as my my favorite X-Men story mm-hmm. that I've that I've ever read. Um, but yeah, no, I remember it being wonderful. I would actually hearing you talk about it's making me want to reread it. So maybe in my, in my, uh, going back into the, into the logs, I'll, uh, I'll check it out one of these days. Yeah. The the thing it made me do too about, it made me want to go read other X-Men stuff. You know, it made me want to go, I'll go back and read the, the Morrison one and then I'll read this and I'll, you know, it, uh, th- that's what it more than anything made me want to do is check out these characters in, in other places, um, which was I would love really like good. a, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go, no, that, that was, a, that was it. No, I was just saying like, I would love maybe even from our listeners, if they wanted to tweet us like what, what they think are some of the essential 
mm-hmm. uh, X-Men runs. Because I feel, as much as I know the characters by name and their power sets, I feel very, like, I've missed out on a lot mm-hmm. of, of possibly some of Like, there are things that are constantly mentioned in X-Men stories that I've never seen. Like, I've never read The House of M. Mm-hmm. I have, I, I don't, I know what Genosha is. <laughs> that's a, Mor- it's, that's it's, a Morrison it's, thing. Yeah. Okay, like, it's yeah. mentioned repeatedly mm-hmm. and i've never been there and i <laughs> yeah. I, I and i'm still not 100 percent sure exactly what it was mm-hmm. you know i know ideally what it was supposed yeah. to be but i don't know exactly how it failed yeah so there is there's a lot to i mean i i will say there's probably i don't think there's any comic out there that is more steeped in continuity than the x-men mm-hmm. As far as just yeah. always, always referencing and always bringing stuff back and always talking about things that have happened in runs previous. I, I just, from doing this, every other book I've ever read that has long continuity, kind of Fantastic Four, all that kind of stuff, I feel like less references less the stuff in its past than, than the X-Men does. And it doesn't matter what writer is on it. It it's, seems that it's constantly doing that stuff, which it makes it one of the hardest books, I think, to really... Uh, kind of get in on but one of the books that most people one of the first books that most people want to get in on because it's something they know so well yeah and here's a book that brings characters back from the past to be in the books now yeah, yeah. so forget <laughs> just mentioning it brings yeah. them forward yeah exactly it's 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 a crazy thing it's a crazy crazy thing um to, to check out i mean i would i i want to read a lot of x-men stuff I, i'm gonna skip the most of the 90s um, <laughs> good for you <laughs> It's tough to read. Yeah, <laughs> but there's definitely a lot of stuff I, I I need to check out. There are characters I always enjoy, when I when I read a good run I always am highly invested in it. So I always want to to read more of it. Um, if I could just put this out there really quick while we have a pause, uh, I'm floating around on Comicsology and I just noticed and bought that uh, they're having a Lumberjanes sale. Mm. That both uh, volumes one and two are only three ninety nine a piece. Oh wow, that's definitely a, that's definitely a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so if you're curious about Lumberjanes, it's yeah. a good way to find out. Get on that. Yeah, man, that's a that's a steal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got I got nothing else to talk about. <laughs> I think we, did, I'm t- we did well. I, I think, think we did well. Yeah, I'm talked out. Uh, yeah. Uh, make sure you guys get in touch with us uh, at Talking Comics uh, on Twitter. Send your questions for uh, Joel Jones, who will be on the uh, show next week. Facebook.com slash Talking Comics. Um, podcast at TalkingComics.com is the email address you can send stuff to. Um, I am at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve. I am at dead underscore anchorus. Bob. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. Yeah, so we, like I said, we have Joel Jones next yes. week. We've got Superman reviews coming up soon. Um, we're going to try, I think, the week before Batman v Superman comes out, we're going to try to do some of some talk about some good Batman v Superman stories or Batman and Superman stories, not v Superman stories. Definitely talk about that. Um, we've got, we're going to be in a couple of weeks talking about Bob's assignment, which was to read the Galactus trilogy. Plus one. Yeah. Plus one. Yes. Plus one. Sorry. Plus one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we'll definitely do that. So Bob, remind me actually people of the issue numbers. It is Fantastic Four 48, 49, 50, and 51, which okay. people don't forget is the aftermath issue. Okay. So, you know, just to remind people that we'll be doing that um, in, in a few weeks as well. Um, yeah, thank you to Stephanie. Uh, she's at Hello Cookie on, on Twitter again, if uh, folks don't remember that. And look out for all the interviews we talked about. And uh, yeah, but I think that's going to do it for this week. I think so. So, for Steve. <laughs> See you in the studio next week. And hey, Bob. Welcome home, Steve, ahead of time. <laughs> Thanks. I have been Bobby. 
Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>